Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Chris. And we have a special guest with us today. We have Andrew the Armadillo. And if you, <laughs> if you get that reference, you get it. If you don't, you don't. Say hi, Andrew. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so today we have a special episode for you guys, a new series focused on the popular video game League of Legends. Very popular. Yeah. I heard a stat today, 32 million people viewed wow. the, the, uh, the World Championship last year. That's crazy. That's crazy to me. And so Andrew is here with us, Andrew the Armadillo, because he loves <laughs> League of Legends, and he also loves D&D, so he's going to join us for our League of Legends pods and give some input and help us to bring to you the best content that we can bring. Now, here's my disclaimer. I don't play this game, yeah. and so you, the listener, like me, might be right now listening going, I don't play League of Legends, I am very uninterested, and you might be ready to turn us off and wait for the next episode, or possibly you are just going to skip ahead to the mailbag and the light bulb and all that stuff. Well, here's the thing. I don't play League of Legends, and I want to encourage you to stick around because the content we're going to bring you today is really cool if you're into fantasy and D&D, as you should be if you're listening to this pod. And honestly, if you are the person who don't play League of Legends and you have players that are not interested and don't play League of Legends, I think this pod is even more so, honestly beneficial for you because if you are not a League of Legends player and if your players aren't then if you take ideas from the stuff we're going to bring to you nobody's going to accuse you of stealing or pulling for it because you're ever all your players will just be like wow that's really cool you made that up so <laughs> and here's the other thing too even if your players do play League of Legends I didn't know a lot of this beforehand mm -hmm. and I played it a lot you know yeah. I played it like hundreds upon thousands of hours of this game and I didn't know a lot of this lore either. Because you so, don't need to. Because you don't need to yeah. for just playing the game. So a lot of your players that do play League of Legends may, in fact, not even know a lot of the lore. Mm -hmm. So it's it's going to be really cool. I'm and really as, excited. And as always, if you've listened to our podcast on creation and inspiration, we encourage you not to steal, but to be inspired from the content that we're going to bring you guys. And we're going to bring you guys content from League of Legends, and we're also going to give you guys ideas of how to use it in D&D. So that's going to be this episode today. We hope that you guys really enjoy it. Let us know what you think about this episode. All right, before we go to story time, we have a couple shout-outs this week, as we always do. The first comes from JQ, the Wizard King, and it's entitled Tremors of Ridiculous Awesome Sauce. Another five-star. And JQ, the Wizard King, says, I love your podcast. I've turned some of my friends onto playing D&D just by having them listen to it. Keep it up. I love that. That's awesome. That's really cool that some people have started playing D&D because of this podcast. Chris, you have a shout-out as well? Yes, I do. It's from Austin the Dominator. It says, great DM-focused podcast. He gave us a five-star. It says, this podcast is both entertaining and informative. Generally awesome. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Austin the Dominator. Keep on dominating, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess. All right. Thanks for, the, thanks for those. But before we get into the meat, which will be on League of Legends... We are going to go to story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments, what we learned about ourselves, and what we learned about each other. 
please join us now as we enjoy Storytime. All right, so for story time today, Andrew is going to share with us way back a couple of years ago when I lived in New York, me and Andrew played D&D together. We got to do that on a consistent basis because I lived in New York, and we had a lot of awesome stories with our New York group of players. And so Andrew and me were talking about what's a story that we can share from that group, from that those campaigns. And so Andrew right away was like, oh, I got one that's perfect. So he's going to tell you all about that today. And me and Chris will interject as well. But yeah, Andrew, take us away. Tell us about this story. All right. Just to start off, our adventuring group was all new. We had never played D&D before. So my character... Makes for an interesting uh, situation. (laughs) Yeah, it it was like, I was so excited to start playing. And then uh, (laughs) we actually sat down. And I remember Mitch is like, all right, what are you guys going to do? And we all just sat there staring at each other, <laughs> like deer in the headlights, like, oh, um, uh, so <laughs> it was very, it was very weird at the beginning, but we quickly took to it. And we're like, all right, we became friends in the town. Uh, I was a, a like lupin. wolf, like, yeah, uh, we, we came up with like a homebrew. Uh, I was a lupin archer, basically like a wolf mm-hmm. archer guy. And I, I basically modeled that off of a character from a game I had played. If you're familiar with Guild Wars, my name was Pyre Fearshot. Oh yeah, um, Guild Wars. Yeah. Wait, you played Guild Wars? I, didn't I did. Play, I did play Guild Wars. Yeah. All um, right, we're gonna I, talk about Guild Wars today. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great game. Yeah, I I was just dumb and I just I, I couldn't make a name, so I just picked a character I liked from a game, and he, he seemed to fit. He was a like feral-looking archer guy. So that was me. Um, our friend who played a elf. What was he? I think he was like an elf. Uh, wizard or something? I, I can't remember so long ago. Who else was there? We had some people come in and out, so it was, it was hard. We had like a, uh, a dwarf. We had a thief. A uh, human thief. Uh, but anyway, so we go out to our first dungeon. Like, this is a big deal for us, right? Um, <laughs> we get to, we, You're already we like get deer to, in the headlights. <laughs> we, yeah, we were, we were so it was so funny watching. I wish I could go back and see how like awkward we were. <laughs> and this we're was one of the like, this was one of the best dungeons I ever made. Like this was early on in my DMing career, but I love this dungeon. I like mapped it all out. It was huge though. Like we spent quite a few game nights in this dungeon. Oh, it, it, it got me hooked right off the bat. I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And it, but, but it did not work out so well for us. Um, <laughs> so we get to the head of the map. Like, it was, like I think, like a cave. It like, was the entranceway. We get there, and we're like, Mitch just says, uh, all right, so what do you do? Deer um, <laughs> headlights like, again. <laughs> we're like, we're like, so is anybody in there? <laughs> yeah, didn't you guys literally go up to the, like the dark opening of the cave and you guys were like, hello? <laughs> and didn't they answer back that like there were gnolls yeah. inside and they're just like, come on in? <laughs> it, it was it was a knoll like hideaway and uh, the gnolls are like, yeah. uh <laughs> you want to come in? <laughs> or like, I know. Like we said in past episodes, Knowles, bad guys are just misrepresented. They're yeah, just right. misunderstood. They just want to yeah. be friends. Well, they were waiting to kill them. But... <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we thought they were good guys, so we, we walked right on in, and the arrows started flying. Um, <laughs> Wait, you guys didn't realize walking into a cave... That something bad was gonna happen. Well, the, I, you guys lit torches, right? Because like you lit couldn't torches, see, so yeah. we're, like bright targets. <laughs> Let's just make it um, super easy. I'm pretty sure none of us had like low light vision or any of those. Like, <laughs> don't, so we're walking in, we're getting shot at. Um, this is all like, this is our first combat, so we don't. We were like just running straight in, yelling, screaming, trying to cut <laughs> things. 
somehow we survived. Don't remember how. <laughs> but the main point is we we somehow got through this dungeon pretty far in. And we get to this one big open room. It was huge, like something out of like Lord of the Rings with the with the Balrog, you know, like pillars everywhere. And there's a giant uh, what was it, Mitch? Was it an iron golem? Was that it, what was, it was? It was a giant stone statue just chilling stone. in the middle of the room. Yeah, so we see this thing, and we're like, either A, it's a statue, B, it wants to kill us, so <laughs> we're going to go with B. Um, <laughs> we're going to sneak. First time sneaking. Like, everything we've done, this is our first time doing it. Keep in mind. <laughs> we roll horribly. Uh, I don't know if anyone even put points into sneak. Um, I thought it was dumb. Turns out it wasn't. Someone tripped, fell, made noise. Stone giant uh, immediately coming straight for us. <laughs> That's a good way I to start a dungeon. Archer. Yeah, I'm the archer. I'm like, oh, I'm going to shoot shoot arrows at this thing. Apparently, that doesn't work on stone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just love this and realization. Like, like, apparently it doesn't work. You're, like, shooting, like, as many arrows as you can. I'm like, they're bouncing off. <laughs> yeah, like... I am the most useless class right now. <laughs> you should have just run up and gave it some love. Just been nice to it. Just hug it. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so I I feel so useless. I'm just running around trying to kite this thing. And then we have our, our mage, who's we think is doing damage. He's doing uh, He's magic yeah. magic missiles. And I tell you that a couple rock like chunks come off when it hits it. Yeah. Uh, but this thing does not seem to turn as well. <laughs> like, it's just, like, dumps it off his yeah. shoulder. <laughs> so this took, I want to say... An hour to, like, I don't know, we spent a great amount of time you guys, running circles around yeah. a Yeah, It was like, I kept on sitting there, like, waiting for you guys to give up, but you guys just were not, you were persistently, like, running around this room trying to, like, <laughs> trying to avoid getting hit. This, this huge statue, and basically there was a point in the dungeon that you guys hadn't gone to and unlocked the door, and so you guys are <laughs> running around the room going, maybe it's in this room, <laughs> and the statue's just following you guys around the entire time. <laughs> oh, awesome. it's horrible. We, we we started opening random doors to just, you know, scatter, <laughs> and and uh, we so we, we're all split up, we're all, like, hurting, and I remember, I forget who were the people, but a few of us opened a door, we walk inside, and... Lo and behold, there are more enemies. They're not. They're not. There's so like tight. there's like 15 goblins <laughs> as they it walk in. It was. I'm just gonna say a lot more than how many of us there were. <laughs> and wait, what level were you guys starting at? Oh, we were. Well, this. I mean, by the time they reached the statue, you guys were level two at level least. Two. Okay. But yeah, we we were nothing able to take down a stone statue at all. <laughs> but we didn't know that, and we had that like I guess I I definitely had the video game mentality like we have to kill this. There's no other option. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, kill it, and then we can move on to level two. Um, <laughs> so that failed. We walk into the next room, more enemies. Things aren't looking good. And this is our first time playing. And yeah, so I honestly, I think we ended up leaving and just running away. And then like we came back later and we decided to get some points in the sneak or get away <laughs> to, to get past this thing because we knew we couldn't. See, I, I remember this point. I remember, well, first of all, you guys ran to the room with the goblins, which was even more hilarious, made it even more ridiculous yeah. battle because basically you guys ran in, saw all the goblins, and they like turn it to you and like start like <laughs> cackling and you guys are like, uh, and you turn around and run back into the room with the giant, or the giant stone statue. And then you got all the goblins running after you, and then the goblins see the statue and are like, crap! <laughs> and so, now you've got you guys running with goblins in back of you, and the statue in back of the goblins, 
And the statue actually catches up to a bunch of the goblins, like, oh, smashes yeah. them into the ground for <laughs> you guys. I remember But that. what happened was, eventually, you guys made your way through this dungeon. You unlocked the... You found a pulley that unlocked the door that the stone statue was guarding. You guys yeah. ran back to the room, ran up these stairs, and you noticed the statue stopped following you as soon as you got on the stairs. So it was like... And then you guys went more into the dungeon and more chaos ensued. But that was a... That was a crazy. Wait, so you guys could have skipped the whole like two hours of running around a, a statue? <laughs> they had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> and, and and to think it only took one spot check, right? <laughs> like, oh, there's a lever, by the way. <laughs> you know, the funniest thing is, you guys weren't the only. You guys were the first to play in that campaign, but the Michigan group played in that campaign as well. And mm-hmm. to this day, whenever I put a statue piece down. Everybody starts freaking Wait, out. was this the one that picked me up and threw me across the room at one point in time? Yeah, I think so. Where, it, like, uh, yeah. it, it, like, was reaching its hand and, through the And you had the, the NPC dwarf that the got door. his legs crushed yeah, because of killed? Because I think um, it was, like, we ran we ran back out of the room. Yeah. And, because there was, like, one room that oh, had yeah. cages of people in and it And our buddy like Tyler, that. was it Tyler and you? Tyler we tried to, there. like, trip it with rope. <laughs> yeah, we tried to trip it with rope. <laughs> yeah, we tried to stand. There was, like, there was, like, yeah. pillars in the room. And we tried to, like, tie rope around it and yep. see if it would, like, Same exact over. story, different. And, uh, but Same then we, we went out and it started story. reaching its hand through the door. And I was yep. like, I'm going to hit it with my axe. And I failed. <laughs> I crit one and fell right into its hand. Oh, yeah. And then it closed on my hand and looked at me and chucked me across the room. Yeah, I remember that. Those are the days where I was a little bit nicer with death, so you survived. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't move. Yeah. I just had to like lay there. Yeah, because I think I flew like sixty feet across the room, yeah. like, full speed by a stone giant. <laughs> no, we sacrificed the, we sacrificed another NPC to that. You remember? Well, that? we no these, quote unquote two of the eviler characters yeah. in the group were like found an NPC, let him loose. Andrew, you found this guy too. Remember or- Yori Icefist, the dwarf? That's who it was. Yeah. yeah. They, you know what they did to Yori? Two of the guys took him, threw him out to the stone giant. <laughs> so we could get out. The stone giant killed him. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Okay, these were evil characters. Yeah, it wasn't my character, but, it was, but I remember oh, when that happened. It was messed up. They were like, man, we gotta get out of here. All right, well, this guy, we well, have no cash. And, and Andrew, you remember Yori, and you remember that he I showed remember. up a bunch of times in the campaign. You he, told us that after we yeah, killed him. I had planned for him to be a campaign NPC. And we killed and him. And they killed him. <laughs> Classic. Not, yeah. Not but yeah. Plan. Yeah, now whenever I put a statue down as Every a GM, they all freak out. out. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, time. that's that's the story of the giant stone statue who made some chaos for both both the Michigan and the New York group. Yeah. So. All right, Andrew, more to share? share? Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say one last thing about the uh, stone giant. That is my biggest regret uh, in all of D&D <laughs> is not having killed that thing. I still <laughs> think wish that I could kill Could they back. even have killed it? Uh, they could have, but it was immune to... Basically everything. everything except for magical weapons oh, or, gotcha. okay. or magic. So, <laughs> so but it had it, little magic level, missiles at level two. This is are level not two, going to and this thing had like two hundred HP. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> one 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 D four magic missiles. It would have been sweet if they found a way to kill it because they would have leveled up at <laughs> least two more times. <laughs> yeah, but it was a. It's a good time. That's your biggest regret. I love it. It really is. I still, to this day, I wake up with a flop sweat. Like, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I, just, I just picture, like, grabbing that giant miniature you had and just snapping it in half. Like, who's giant now? <laughs> oh, the flop I, sweat. I know, flop sweat. <laughs> oh, what is that? 
Alright. Uh, that's a thing, trust me. Okay, I believe you. I'm Is that something we should say don't look up on Google? No, it's nothing bad. It's just oh, like right. when uh, when you wake up and you have sweat on your like, forehead, basically. Oh, okay. Wait, you have, like, winning on a, you you have nightmares of this like statue chasing you and it never dies. No, okay, so you said never four heard. did you say forehead sweat? Flop. Yeah, basically. Well, it's, it's, it, I don't know. I've heard it called flop sweat. Shut Why up. Why didn't you just call it forehead sweat? <laughs> like, I totally that's don't know so what that was. That sounds so, that sounds so nasty. <laughs> flop sweat <laughs> doesn't sound nasty. <laughs> that's so nasty. All right. All right. Let's, that's, uh, that's our story time for the week. Let's move on to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? All right, so for today, for this meet, we, like we said, are going to be diving deep into the lore of League of Legends. We're specifically going to be focusing on the land of the Freljord, and some of you may remember... If you play League of Legends, this was lore that was really developed about a year, year and a half ago. But first, to give you a little bit more background, Andrew is going to explain a little bit about League of Legends and the realm of Runeterra. So Andrew, take it away. Alright, so if you're not familiar with League of Legends, this is it in a very quick nutshell. So, as Chris just said, it's a like the planet as a whole is known as Runeterra and there's two main factions one is Demacia one is Noxus Demacia being like paladin-esque you know very righteous lawful I would say Love justice that type of stuff yeah. yeah light and then you have Noxus which is like dark it's brutal like fear driven all these all these types of things just basically the opposite of Demacia right and so these war these nations are at war and I'm not really familiar with the summoner aspect I, I think like they um they went back and made have changed things but basically the League of Legends was created and kind of think of it kind of like a Hunger Games uh, yeah it's kind of it's, it's very it is, yeah. Hunger Games like it's just basically you put on five a grander scale <laughs> yeah yeah and like that's how you settle disputes is you send these people in yeah you fight. send your strongest champions into the place that's called Summoner's Rift which is where the mm-hmm. what the League of Legends takes place in. One of a few battlefields, but the yep. most popular one is, is Summoner's Rift. Yep. You send them in, settle a dispute, and that's how you do it, instead of having these giant wars waged for basically the same reason. Yep. It's pretty crazy. I mean, that's a pretty like crazy thing that you could put into your world as a political system. It doesn't have to be... Because in, in the League of Legends world, it's all over the entire world of Rune Terror. That is the way that they do yep. things. Someone and has ripped good, up off of the ground. Yeah, it's, it's a just, great yeah. way to explain why the battles that you're playing in the video game happen. But that's like a cool thing that you could take as like a political system. Like they don't go to war. They have champions from yep. either nations or tribes or whatever go to like go and fight and represent the whole country instead of of losing numbers of countless Mm -hmm. lives it's just if your champions lose sorry but Mm -hmm. you you lost you know uh speaking of because we are always of course focused on D D, you could make a game where your player characters are champions for a nation yeah so they have to settle disputes between your nation and another nation by going to battle their ch- other people's champions. Yep. Pretty cool. Pretty cool lore. Yeah. So, Andrew, did you mention the summoners too? Yeah, I, I mentioned them. Okay. Um, I'm I'm kind of hazy on the yeah, whole summoner the, thing. The summoner's basically, Rift is basically like it's run by these three powerful summoners. There's not a whole lot known about them, but they're kind of the ones that, I, if we could say it, they're almost like so powerful that they want to see the world in peace, possibly. 
and this is one way that they decided to help settle disputes between these two, uh, these two world or these two factions. Mm-hmm. One that we're going to be focusing on, and this is probably one that they have. I would say they spent a lot of time on this lore about a year and a half ago, uh, really coming up with it, and and it's good. we're going to be focusing on the Freljord, which is a frozen tundra wasteland within the world of Runeterra. And I have a quote here from one of the champions that we'll be focusing on later, but she says the Freljord, a home to some, a grave to countless more. Lesser clans have scrambled for the right to rule this frozen land for millennia. All have failed. Now finally, three great leaders have emerged to rally the lesser tribes beneath their banners. The storms of war will cloud when their paths cross. But once this battle is over, the people will find just one tribe left. To rule the land, uh, and that's by the Ice Witch Lysandra, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But the current place in the lore in League of Legends is the Freljord is in a civil war. It has a lot of history, just not ever really being unified. It's always constantly been at war. Don't know why. It's 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 a frozen wasteland. Essentially, is what it is. There's nothing really there in this world. Some of the lore behind it is during the winter time months. Like it's always cold. But during the wintertime months especially, it's nearly impassable. Even even the normal inhabitants of this world have an extremely hard time crossing this land. It claims even it claims lives even of those who have lived there basically their whole life. Even people that are, are expert explorers in this area still can find themselves without any hope of surviving. And their storms, it's said, are unmatched with any of the other storms in this world. There are storms here. If you're outside, you're pretty much going to be dead. Okay, so this world in present-day Freljord is basically split up into three factions or three tribes. So the first of these tribes, help me with these names, uh, is the Avarosa. So why don't you guys tell us a little bit about what you guys know about the Avarosa tribe. Yeah, the Avarosa tribe, uh, and Andrew, feel free to cut in whenever you want. The Avarosa tribe is is a tribe that's led by the Queen Ash, who is who is kind of like a ranger character who has mystical ice powers given to her by the bow that she carries. Uh, and we'll explain a little bit more about that in a little while. But they're kind of like the peacekeeping ones. They want to see unity within everybody. They hate the fact that there's a civil war going on. They want to see peace and unity, but they want to be the head of everything. So they want the three tribes to come together, but in the end, they want to be the they rulers of the They fight for, land. from what I saw, a unified Freljord. Right. But that unified Freljord is ruled by the self-proclaimed Queen Ash yep. and her king. Well, they don't really fight unless they need to. <clears throat> yeah. they, they try to do it peacefully, but she has a extremely strong army of champions mm-hmm. behind her. But for the most part, she tries to go about it in an extremely peaceful way. Andrew, you want to explain a little bit about the next one, the Winter's Claw? Yeah, the uh, the Winter's Claw are basically the uh, basically the opposite of yeah. the Avarosa. Yeah, pretty much. They are the barbarians, the brutes, the kick butt, ask questions later kind of people. <laughs> yeah. They're not and... what you did in story time. They don't go up to the cave and say, hello. <laughs> they just storm right in. <laughs> well, that's how our combat end, uh, ended up being like. <laughs> but they are led by Sejuani, who I'm very interested in seeing her played as a character within D&D. She would be sweet. Yeah, I I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but have you ever had a character who rode like a mount for like the majority of the like combat and everything? We have we have mounts in our current campaign. Yeah, yep. We uh, each of them rides a mount, but uh, not, not mostly like for the, travel. Right? Mostly for travel, we do combat on mounted combat, which we'll cover that in a future episode. But to, in sh- in short, 
Mounted combat is, the idea of mounted combat is, in my opinion, way cooler than the actual aspect of mounted yeah. combat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but her her mount in particular would be really cool for her yeah. as an NPC to be to be seen with. The last one... Well, what is her? What is her? Uh, yeah. it, it's a it's a giant boar, yeah. is what it is, named Bliss, Blister, is that what I have? Br- bristle. Bristle, that's what it is, yeah, Bristle. It has a really weird name in a lot of forums, and I forget what it is uh, off the top of my head, but but that's what people have affectionately started calling it, is, is Bristle. So the, so the Winter's Claw and Avarosa are two very different factions. Yep. From what I see, they're not. You couldn't really label each of the either of them as evil or like they're more like they're just they're just the ones that want to yeah. be in control. Even though Witcher's Claw is uh, more aggressive, they're they're not seen as evil. Yep. Whereas that would probably bring us to the next faction. Yeah, which is the Frost Guard. So they're they're kind of a big reason as to that. Well, their leader is kind of a big reason as to why there's a civil war going on now. They find themselves hidden deep within like the ancient ruins of Freljord. They're kind of hidden, kind of concealed a little bit. They're not really as active as what you would think. They seem kind of peaceful at first, but they really have a lot deeper and darker reasons for why they're so peaceful. So back in the day, the Frost Guard and Lysandra, they were they were all humans at one point in time, and they struck a deal with basically the main bad guy of who the Freljord has ever seen before. We're called the uh, Frost Watchers. And they, they promised extremely great power to Lysandra and her followers that they would turn them into iceborne people. They were like humans, but they were given the power to use ice and shape ice and use it for extremely powerful and dark magic so that they could begin to take over the world of the Freljord and eventually even more than what the Freljord had to offer. And so they got into an extremely large battle back in the day and eventually most of the original Iceborne were killed and now Lysandra is calling whoever wants to continue that same type of domination of the world to her under the name of the Frost Guard. So there was this there was this huge battle between these frozen watchers yep. um, <clears throat> that aren't native to this land. They came to Freljord and yep. you know gave the the people this promised the people immortality and other powers if they basically were their slaves, their subjects. Yeah. And yeah. Lysandra I don't think they made it seem like they were slaves and yeah. subjects at the at first. But I they think were they made it seem like they were the more like time, Yeah, yeah was, the more yeah. time that went on, the more they realized yep. that this is what's going on. Yep. And so Lysandra, who is the leader of the yep. Frost Guard, yep. is was one of the people who basically said, I'm I'm gonna be loyal to these guys. Yep. But then she had two sisters, uh Avarosa. Yep. And that is the name of the other tribes. Yep. And then there's Serelda. Um, and so it was, they were, the three of them were sisters, Avarosa, Serelda, and Lysandra. And the other two, besides Lysandra, wanted to break free of the Frozen Watchers, so they began a rebellion. And in, like you said, Chris, in this rebellion, they fought with these Frozen Watchers. The Frozen Watchers died, or they didn't die, they lost, and they fell down this big pit, this abyss, and part of the story there is their thought maybe to be alive and maybe they will they're trying to escape to fight again in Freljord and take over again but yep. a lot of the iceborne people mm-hmm. died during this battle and after this battle there was a huge once the once the watchers were destroyed or, or not destroyed but sent away got banished, ri- banished whatever, whatever yeah. happened these three sisters began a war known as the war of the three sisters for 
control of the Freljord, and Lysandra is the one who is still alive today, yep. and thought to be the last of the Iceborne, because yeah. all these Iceborne died in this battle and such. <clears throat> Yeah. So these Iceborne are now people that aren't around. And basically that, that battle of the three sisters made the people of Freljord break up into these, these three fractions yeah. that now is their present-day situation. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I thought was interesting was when I read up on this, it says that it says that the, the factions of today, the Avarosa, the Winter's Call, and the Frostguard, a lot of them have, most of the people have actually forgotten the reason the fighting started in the first place. So except it's an ancient for, history. Except for Lysandra, who is still wanting to do her master's bidding yeah. and see it united under yeah. the banner of the Frostwalkers. Well, there's, there's people who uh, still remember, but it's it's more of a, the, the mass majority, majority of yeah, population. Yeah, yeah. They're, they go to war with each other, but they don't really know why this happened in the first place. So yeah. it's almost like this history has faded throughout the passage of time, which is is cool. I like that. It, it adds an old element to the land and to the history. Yep. Basically, uh, Lysandra, if you want to equate her to something else, she's basically the <laughs> Ice King from Adventure Time. <laughs> you know, like off in, off in some ice tower, like plotting to destroy the world with ice. Yeah, that's basically what she is. <laughs> yeah, you and me were talking about that before. I also equated her to the witch in Narnia because she, oh, yeah. the witch in Narnia yeah. makes the whole land of Narnia covered in ice, but yeah, it's it's funny because she's totally very much like those two characters. <laughs> yeah. So now going back to each of the factions again, they all have a specific leader, and we'll talk a little bit more about each of their personalities as far as how they interact with each other and how they interact with the people of their tribe. And so first one is Ash, who is the leader of the Avarosan tribe. She like while all of her sisters and everybody else they tend to war a lot, she works day and night. To establish, <clears throat> excuse me, establish a single alliance within the Freljord. She doesn't like the fact that people are being killed over something that a lot of people don't even remember what the feud is about. And so her methods are normally peaceful, and yet she still, I would say, looking at her champion list, which we'll talk a lot about, a lot about these champions in what to actually add to the D&D later in the episode. But her list is pretty impressive of people that she has under her command that would be willing to follow her into battle. But for the most part, she's trying to work things out diplomatically and extremely peacefully. So the next person we have is the leader of the Winner's Claw, who is Sejuani. And she is basically, she thinks that if you're not strong enough to survive, you should die, which is very, uh, <laughs> what, what, what is that, like? Uh, Darwin-like. Darwin. Yeah, 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 strong, strong, like, survival of the fittest yeah. type stuff. Yeah. yeah, survival of the fittest, that's what I was looking for. She, you know, rules with an iron fist, she'll... They live and where they live specifically in the Freljord is a very inhospitable place with not yeah. many resources. So how they survive is by pillaging and <laughs> taking from other lesser clans and basically taking what they need from everyone else. Well, and then what they do is they like they like evaluate everybody that's still alive in there, and whoever's strong enough comes under their command and begins to be a part of the Winter Claw, and everybody else is just killed essentially. Is mm -hmm. what it is. Like they're they are trying to build like the toughest and strongest race in all of the Freljord. No weaklings can be a part of it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It kind it kind of reminds me a little bit of like uh, at least this part in 300 where like if there's something wrong with the people, like they're they're yeah, not allowed whatsoever yeah. in the world. So, uh, yeah, she's very much like if you're weak, sorry, you have no place here. Uh, and they <laughs> either throw you out or they they just kill you right then and there. And she has some pretty strong allies, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well, on her side. And the last of the three, uh, Lysandra, who is the oldest and is thought to be the only Iceborne left. There's some theories about who might be 
another one of the the Iceborns, possibly. But the only known one left that'll actually admit it uh, is Lysandra, and she uh, she's very magical. She's actually blind. I don't know if you guys saw that at all, but mm-hmm. she lost her yeah, sight uh, in the battle, and so she feels like what's around her, like through magic or through the ice, like reaching out and touching things, which is really interesting to me that she can't see, and yet she's like this really powerful ice witch, which is really cool. She she is somebody who hasn't forgot. She she hold, she's basically held a grudge for hundreds and hundreds of years about what happened to her masters. And she is deviously and tirelessly planning and and trying to get their rule back and, and, and unite the Freljord under the watch of the Frostguard. It's a, it's a cool personality trait. Our last episode we <laughs> focused on villains. And this is, this is a villain that she wants total domination over the Freljord. But at the same time, and so she has like this tyrannical personality, but at the same time, she wants to bring back these Frost Watchers, which would mean that she would not be ultimately in charge. It's kind of like she wants the Frost Guard to, or the Frost Watchers to come back, rule Freljord again, and she would be in a high seat of power. Right. But she has not forgotten her masters, and it's not like she's trying to overturn them. She wants to bring Freljord back to what she would think was its original glory. Exactly. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Saruman and Sauron relationship, yeah. where like Saruman knows he won't ultimately be in control, and yet he wasn't always aligned with them. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it was like, no, I'm I'm planning on this, and I'll hold a high seat or of power. You, or even deeper, world. you have you have Sauron and Melkor, if you know. All yeah, that. yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that's a that's a really wide overview of what's happened in the Freljord so far. If you want to look up more about it, feel free to go uh, search it in Google. There's tons of websites that'll that'll have way more history about the Freljord than than we said. If we were to speak all about the lore, we'd be here for hours upon hours uh, doing that. But what we're really interested in doing is telling you and showing you and possibly giving you some ideas of how you can add some of these League of Legends lore from the Freljord into your world. And so one of the things that we have talked about a lot on our podcast is creating your own world. We, we encourage DMs out there to not just take settings that are already pre-made, that's fine, but one of the cool things about being a DM is creating your own world, taking inspiration from other places, but creating your own world, your own history, your own lore. And so uh, going along with that, you could use this land of the Freljord as a very cool inspiration to make a land like it for your own world. So, uh, Chris, you want to tell us a little bit about, let's get, give some ideas, taking the idea of the Freljord to people concerning making their own Freljord-like land. Yeah, yeah, so I'll just start out saying this. This is really cool, and this might be something that you might be able to do not just for making a land like the Freljord, no. but you could do this in a, in a lot of different lands, mm-hmm. just combining different foreign languages. But the place that they got the word Freljord from is actually pretty cool. They got it from the word frail or fry, meaning free or uncovered or bare, which is comes from the German and Scandinavian languages. Uh, so you have that first part, frail, which means uh, bare, uncovered. And then the last part, yord, uh, means earth. And so the full translation is basically it means bare earth, which is very, very apparent when you look at the frail yard. It is inhospitable. It, it is bare. It's uncovered with simply ice and snow. I and think that that's a great idea, too. I know that one of the hardest things when you're DMing 
is coming up with names oh, for so everything. Is. Like, especially if you're creating your own world, it's hard to continuously come up with names for new lands, new NPCs, new whatever it is. And so this is something that I've done in the past with, like, mostly with characters more than the places themselves. But you take other languages and you mix words into it. And unless you have somebody who's German sitting in your group, they're not going to go, oh, the Freljord, you know? That's <laughs> like, pretty cool. Yeah. And even if you do, that's it's, sweet. Then, yeah. like, they, they're like, oh, cool, you pulled that from that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a very cool idea that lends itself to you to make a name for land, a country, that adds even more meaning to that name that yeah. you've made it named. Yep. So uh, some of the aspects, some of the notable features that I noticed on the map and uh, in the lore of the Freljord could be things that give you inspiration to make a land that's a very large tundra-like land in your world. There's this thing called the Gelid Vortex, and in Freljord it's a powerful maelstrom located in the north that's surrounded by mountains. And we'll talk a little bit about that again later because there's a sweet story surrounded with that. Um, but another feature is the Iron Spike Mountains, uh, which are a long stretching mountain range that creates a natural barrier in Freljord. And I think for a, a land such as this, I think mountains are usually probably a really yeah. good thing to have, a really yeah. important thing And you thing can to create have. really cool things within those mountains too, mm -hmm. like like passes that are only open certain parts of the year. So yep. if you find yourself traveling and it's late in the winter, you might not be able to travel that way. You may have to take the long way around. You might have to go through the Mines of Moria. The Mines of Moria, yeah, yeah. Because who knows, maybe Lysandra is chanting. Threw me there. Yeah, right. Maybe Lysandra is chanting to bring down the mountain on your head yeah. or something like that, yeah. But yeah, so you could add a lot of elements yeah. within within that. There's... You, you could have a cave that goes from one side to the yeah. other that if you get snowed in, it's like you're just stuck down under the mountains for a long time. That'd suck. Uh, there's also glaciers in that are a notable feature. There's... Uh, one of the notable features is that this land, like Chris said, it's it means bare earth, and it's low on resources. Very so low one of the things that yeah. I read about was that these factions, these tribes, will fight over resources because yep. there's not a lot to be taken. Yep. And then one of the other cool places that I read about was called the Frostguard Citadel, and this is where Lysandra and her Frostguard are, their keep, and... Basically, what they do in the Citadel is they, they hoard a lot of Freljord's artifacts, treasures, and records of his history, which I found even the fact that it, it holds records of the history even like one of the more interesting part, even beyond artifacts and treasures, because they're storing up history so that other people can't know what the history right. of the land is. But that's it's, cool. it's like almost... It's almost keeping her drive going, like yeah. reading through that history to, to bring back her, for, or yeah. her former lords, I guess you could call mm -hmm. them, over the land. I thought that was pretty that cool. That tyrannical cool. villain yeah. aspect. Yeah. Yep. This stuff is mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we also have a lot of NPCs, which there's a lot of cool people that you can add in. Uh, or you can use these if you're a player and you yeah, decide yeah. to listen to our podcast, or you want to encourage your players uh, and give them ideas. So like Andrew said, he took a character from Guild Wars, and that inspired him in one of his first characters he made. And he, you loved Pirate Fear Shot. That's like, oh, yeah. that's your favorite character you've ever played. Like, you yeah, still have I, his mini just chilling by your computer. <laughs> yeah, I, I've made a miniature, and I'm painting it, and it looks nice. Now, yeah. But yeah, it I, does look nice. The only one thing, another regret, other than the Stone Giant. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I had given him an original name, and I'd yeah. have taken it from Guild Wars, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. But, and yeah, and that's... 
that's good advice for maybe somebody who is thinking about this. Be inspired, but don't steal. And like you're saying, like that's one of your regrets. Like take the time, come up with a name. But here make, we're going to talk about yeah, make it personal. We're going to talk about a couple of these characters, the champions that you get to play in the game of League of Legends that we thought were the most interesting of these. And you can take these characters and make characters that are similar to this. Like we said, if you're a player, you can take um, it and make a a character yourself or as a DM, make these NPCs that really are a huge part of this land, this land that's like the Freljord or somewhere other than the Freljord. But yeah, that's that's what we're going to talk about right now. We've got some great characters to talk about. Yep. First one is Ash, the Frost Archer, and we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about her. But these are these are some aspects that you might be able to add into your world that would make her into either an NPC or some elements that you could use to, to make her into a, a player character as well. She could be a queen. She could not be a queen. In the, in the world of League of Legends, she's she's a very powerful queen. Or she could not be. She could just be a, a very powerful ranger that, that carries around this very mysterious bow that you don't know where... It came from exactly that. That has the power to harness ice, essentially, is what it does. This doesn't have anything specific to do with League of Legends, but I think that's an aspect that makes a good NPC, is a NPC who has a memorable weapon. Yeah. And Ash is definitely a character who has a memorable weapon. And we'll talk more about weapons, too, because there's, yep. there's a bunch of really characters cool weapons yeah. that you can Memorable weapons. Yeah. Um, so, but, like, I even think of, you know, you think of, Sting from Lord of the Rings, like everybody remembers Frodo and Bilbo yeah. have Sting, yeah. and then the other swords that Thorin and Gandalf get. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a, a weapon with a good name, a weapon with a special power. A lot of people who've played with my character Brom, the the orc, remember that he had a sword called the Widowmaker. Oh, that's yeah. one of their favorite yeah. things from yeah. that but yeah it's so uh, weapons can add a really cool touch exactly. to NPC, and she exactly. definitely has a very cool weapon that we'll explain a little bit more in a minute and she her, like we said her personality was earlier she could be the type of ranger or the type of queen that's extremely powerful has all this power behind her that she could harness and yet she always seems to seek the diplomatic route of peace and harmony but yet when she's called upon she's like the most fierce warrior you've mm-hmm. ever met in your life and it could be that she knows she has all this power, and she's like, I really don't want to use this on people because I don't want to hurt them with it. And so she could always be seeking out the the peaceful and the very diplomatic way of, of resolving issues. Like you said, this character would probably be in D&D's world a ranger-type character. Yeah, yeah very um, much so. That's how she appears, and that's yep. how she acts. Yep. Andrew, you want to talk about your favorite one? <laughs> she's not my favorite, but she is up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sejuani, the winner's wrath. She's the barbarian girl who rides the giant uh, war boar, I guess you'd call it, uh, bristle. She's very fearless, barbaric. As we said before, she, you know, fights first, asks questions later. Now, I find it interesting, her as a D&D character, because one of her biggest things is she rides a mount into battle. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, and, like, I find that really, like, I would love to do that or have a character mm-hmm. that would do that. But, like, how would you do that as, like, a DM? How would you make it? I guess, viable or, like, not overpowered or something I like think, that? I think, honestly, that whether she became a villain or an ally, my Would, my mind is when this character, this NPC, that if you're inspired by Sejuani and want to make an NPC like Sejuani, my, in my mind, what I picture is the characters come 
into contact with her, meet her for the first time, and her first initial reaction is, take these guys down. Yeah. And so it's a big <laughs> boss battle. And Chris, what happens when you're a player and you see a strong enemy? You either run away or you really want to fight it. Yeah. What happens when you, you see a yeah. <laughs> What happens when you see a strong enemy and they're on the back of a freaking boar? Uh, like, oh, I know what happened last time. We saw a really powerful person that we thought was an enemy on the back of a of a, a mount. We were like, oh my gosh, I hope this guy doesn't kill me because yeah. he's run way fast. It's like scary. And so the pictures I've seen of Sejuani are she's not on a small size, a medium size no, board. It's, she's on a it's huge, huge board. In D and D world, this is going to be a dire board. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, Very much so that is a scary boss battle to have. But I mean, if you if you are trying to make contact with this NPC to befriend them, you might have to fight them first and get them to listen. Because like well, we she said, loves this person strong. Yeah, yeah. Fight first, ask questions later, and so you might have to fight her and bring her to her knees. You know, use uh, non-fatal, not like don't kill her with your blows, keep her alive. But you might need to bring her down, or she fights to be able brings, to talk to, brings or, you yeah. to your knees, or she might realizes, be a good villain to to or, drop in. Yeah, an or or she realizes these guys are actually strong. Mm-hmm. I want to keep them alive. Yeah, you know that type of thing. So I was looking up because I was like, I know Bristle has another nickname too. Uh, Andrew, did you see this at all? No, or I didn't have a nickname. The nickname no. that a lot of people gave it, like there was a thread on the forum that said. Uh, what what is the boar's name? Because they didn't release like what her mom's name was right away, and uh, this one person it was like 22 pages into the forum said, I think it's Kevin Tuggles, and then the the guy uh, Iron Iron Stylist, the guy that like is a lot does a lot of like character development and stuff like that. Uh, he goes, you're correct, and then he, they they just like kept going. So for a long time, people thought his name was Kevin Tuggles, Kevin Tuggles. Uh, really? but then but then they said it was actually Bristle was actually the name, which is which is really funny. But is that actually, a but actually, I reading yeah. this. There's is like, that a reference to something? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But so there's some people. There's some guy out there named Kevin Tuggles. It's just yeah. like yes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. shared the name with the poor. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was really funny. I was like Kevin Tuggles. What? Like you're just like I'm Sejuani. I'm riding on the back of this massive dire boar. And you're like, what's your dire boar's name? Kevin Tuggles. It's like, what the? How's that? How's that even scary anymore? I'm not even like, not frightened of you. Until yeah. he gores you with yeah, his Yeah, until he gores tusks. you with his tusks. It's like, don't make fun of my name. It's Kevin Tuggles. <laughs> he, you don't he talks, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah don't he, make fun of my he name. actually talks. That'd I am a, Kevin yeah. Tuggles. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> uh, I'm going to Google that and find out if that's an actual thing or not. Oh, Kevin Tuggles. Yeah, let me know. Yeah, some let some me know. bore out there named Kevin Tuggles. Yeah. Well, I'm going to move on to Lissandra. So if you find anything, let me know if there's like some reason <laughs> Interject why Kevin Tuggles. with the more important information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, now for the lesser important information, Lysandra, the Ice Witch. Uh, she was formerly a human, but was corrupted by the dark powers of the Iceborne. Mm-hmm. So you could have this type of person in your world who maybe delved too deep into dark magic using ice particularly. You could make up some sort of dark magic concerning ice, and she was corrupted by it. It may not have to be that she was you know, made by these... You don't have to create these Frost Watchers that come into your world. She could just be somebody who delve too deep into this this dark ice magic and so she was corrupted by these dark powers very powerful very strong strong control over ice i like also the fact that she's blind lisa but what's that lisa yeah it's a it's a i do know who lisa is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah so yeah like i like the fact that she's blind i think that adds to i think that honestly adds to her scariness i think of a villain who's blind but so powerful they 
they talk directly to you. You think maybe I can sneak past them, but it's almost yeah. like they're not blind in the yeah. sense that they've adapted so well. Yeah. To it. Well, it's kind of funny that she could control ice to feel for her because mm-hmm. the whole land is covered in ice. That's which crazy. Is, which is think... really crazy. So basically, she has tremor sense as a DS. Yeah. She like, she possibly could. Like yeah. skills. She can feel when people are walking into her ice fortress. Yep. <laughs> yeah. She, and she she and the iceborns and the frost watchers are pretty much the reason why the frail yard is covered yeah. in ice. So that's a good idea, like we said, for a villain, especially of a frost a tundra like land a, you think of we like andrew said you think of the ice king from uh, adventure time you think of the witch from narnia you think of lissandra it doesn't have to be a princess it could be a or a queen it can be a a king a powerful wizard as yeah. i love to always yeah. put it but yeah. yeah like some perhaps the reason a land is a tundra as it is is because of a powerful villain who creates and makes the place yep. that way. Yep, and you could also have uh, whoever this person is that you add to your campaign, if you add somebody like her, you could add a story about how you know either her former masters died and she's still extremely loyal to them, or they've been banished in some way, shape, or form like we talked about, and she just has not forgotten the past mm-hmm. uh, and is just so extremely loyal to them that she'll do whatever she can yeah. to find them back to their former glory. I think that is... Like having like like we talked about in the villains past the villains episode, having a villain driven by past like pains that they've had or past angers, like having hung onto that for hundreds of years is gonna make her so diabolical. It's gonna be amazing if you add something. And the ancient like that. villain is also a good thing, someone who's far outlived <laughs> oh, yeah. any of your players. Which is which is the case yeah, in, in this in scenario. Lissandra. Yeah. I'm gonna get the next one. Yeah, go for I it. Like... This is, I, I love so this one. One of the other hilarious. champions from the world of the I totally land plan of the on somebody like this too. <laughs> is called Nunu the Yeti Rider. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, but Nunu is a child. Yes. Yes. Uh, so this this child was at a time a part of the Frostguard tribe. So his parents and everything were part of the Frostguard tribe. The Lilisandra's tribe. Yep. And so what happened was Nunu befriended a Yeti named Willump. Yep. And basically what happened was Willump escaped from Nunu, but they they already kind of became friends. But he escapes. He wants to live back into the wild. And so Nunu immediately, like, runs after Willump. He wants to be with his friend. And he finds Willump surrounded by members of the Frostguard tribe ready to bring him down. Yep. And so Nunu gets in front of Willump and he's like, don't kill him. And the Frostguard people are like, we're still going to kill him. And they are about to hurt Nunu. And Willump, seeing this, the Yeti, goes into a rage and murders every single yeah. one of these Frostguard. Yeah. And so what happens is Nunu becomes banished from his tribe because of the death of the Frost Guard people who tried to kill Willump or catch him or whatever it yeah. was. And so he becomes banished. He becomes a wanderer with his Yeti, Willump. And so the two have a very strong friendship and they just wander the f- frozen tundra land of Freljord. And I thought, this is a sweet, this could be a sweet NPC, whether it's a child or you could like have that be this NPC's backstory, but you could encounter an adult new new like yeah. character as yeah. well. Yeah, I thought about even if even if it wasn't like I was thinking of like smaller characters that you could put on the backs of a yeti. It could even be like a halfling or uh, like a gnome that you find on the back of this yeti 
Uh, it doesn't have to be like a small child who sits on the back of this mm-hmm. Yeti. But what's also really interesting, something to think about too, is as I'm thinking through Nunu, the character that I've played, he has a snowball attack that like he throws these magical ice snowballs from the back of this Yeti. So like <laughs> you could almost have like one of his magical powers be that he can make these huge snowballs that he could just throw and do tons of cold damage to people. But yeah, Nunu, I I remember reading this and I was like, this is one that I totally want to bring. Yeah, up. I love Nunu is. That's such a cool idea. I love his backstory, but even more than Nunu's backstory, I like the next guy. And Andrew, you love this guy, Brom. I've never actually played him, so I know nothing about him. But, yeah, go for it, Andrew. So, Brom, he's basically just a giant mustachioed hero. You know what I think of when I saw his picture? I thought of um, Ron Swanson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Freljord Warrior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's actually a good way to equate him. He's, uh, <laughs> Brom is basically just this this hero of Freljord. Everyone knows him. Everyone loves him. There's legends about him. It's just this hero of the people kind of guy. Yeah, um, there's like, there's this is the guy that your children are like, tell us another story about Brom. Yeah, like, yeah. And there are story. stories surrounding Brom, <laughs> like all these stories that you would basically tell them bedtime stories about this guy yeah like he's so loved by the people and one of the most notable things about him is his uh his weapon or you i, I guess it would be it's his shield it's mm-hmm. not exactly a weapon i know it's really um, annoying when you play against him <laughs> oh yeah he's he's he, he's a if you play league he's a support so he's all about helping other people like that's his gift. very fitting to his character yep. yeah yes so basically how he got his uh shield which by the way is crazy it's like unbreakable crazy strong shield it's made um, out of whole... it part of it is made out of an element that we'll talk about that you could possibly true add to ice. Your, yeah true yeah, ice which yeah, we'll talk true about ice. in a little bit yeah and the funny thing is that it's not really a shield <laughs> yeah it's yeah. not really a shield yeah it's actually a door um, <laughs> um but the, the, so the the legend goes of how he got this door shield. He heard a little, uh, I think it was a goblin a baby troll. or troll, or a troll child. kid. Yep. Yeah, troll child was like crying up in a mountain, and <laughs> he hears this. Like I just picture like Superman, just like yeah. he hears something like off in the distance and goes to like help There's out. There's all these villagers surrounding this like <laughs> door, like they can't break it down, and it's mm-hmm. the story goes that Brom heard it and he basically just started laughing and he's like, "I'll break it down," yeah. and he tries. <laughs> Yeah. But he can't break it down. Yep, true ice is too strong. Yep. So what his next inclination this is, is so awesome. oh, if, if I can't, uh, what does he say? Basically? He said, he say? basically, he sits down, I think it says for like three days, and the kid's still inside, and he's just <laughs> thinking on this rock, like, what am I going to do? I picture like Gandalf at the like split and Moria, oh, yeah, like, yeah. I don't remember which way, but he's just thinking. And he just like, he pops his like finger up, and he like just pops up, and he's like, I've got it. And he says, if I can't go through the door... I will go through! And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) But yeah, so what did that mean, Andrew? So basically, he destroyed the mountain around the door. (laughs) He went up to the top of the mountain and just started punching downwards. He just destroyed everything. Wait, why didn't he just punch on the the other side of it? Why didn't he punch the whole mountain? Just to prove that he's so be it. It's so cool. So yeah, so he destroys it all. Frees the kid. Uh, as it as the mountain is crumbling down, he, uh, doesn't he like ride the shield with he, the troll child in hand? I think he the the mountain because he broke down through the mountain. The mountain starts to fall on top of him and the kid, and he grabs the door and uses it as a shield over his head. Um, and uh, he, he notices yeah. that the like him and the kid are fine after the mountain falls. And so like that's the story of 
how he got his shield when it has never left his hands yeah. ever since then. So his his shield is a huge door that is it's pretty sweet looking. If you haven't if you don't know who Brahm is, look up the pictures. It's a cool shield. Yeah, he's really cool. But it's it's this unbreakable ice, um, and that's like what he uses now as his primary weapon. But yeah, I I looked up a bunch of his other stories and I love this idea of an NPC who is a hero of the people. He has the sweet weapon once again. But one of the things that I think is the best notable aspect of this guy, and Chris, I thought of the White Masked Rider. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, if you've listened to our podcast, you've heard the story of the White yeah. Masked Rider before. Um, your character, My character, this legend that's built yep. around it. Who but, is actually a halfling, but he's pictured yeah. as like an eight-foot-tall, massive But this, this idea of stories and legends surrounding this hero are such a cool idea for an NPC. Uh, who's to say that now Brom is a sweet character, but who's to say that that's exactly how the story happened? Who's to say that he didn't, like you said, just go around the other side? He, like, the story tells us that he goes down from the top of the mountain into the mountain, which is just crazy, but it paints this image of this crazy... This larger the than story life that's, person. Yeah, the yeah. story that's become a legend. Yeah. And it's sweet to have characters in your world that have legends built around him that are really difficult to believe yeah. and on the one side you have you could have well these stories have just been blown out of proportion because people love to tell stories and people love to have a hero to believe in on the other side Brom is a really strong really strong champion who he's the other person that they say might be an ice might born, be an ice born uh, which are really stories, powerful yeah. so possibly these stories are blown out of proportion kind of a fish tale or possibly he is this strong, and these are exactly how they've happened. Yeah. Either way, it's a really cool aspect to add to an NPC. Which is in really your interesting world. because the Iceborne are typically think of, are thought of as evil type people, mm-hmm. like they because they, of Lissandra. Because of Lissandra. Lissandra. And so it's interesting to see like where it's there. There's also that lore behind you know are they in fact all evil or is Brom like a, a singularity who's like, I don't want anything to do with mm-hmm. that. Forget that. There's there's a lot of stories that you could potentially add in surrounding mm-hmm. that type of thing too. Mitch, do you, I, I have a feeling you like the next one too. I do like yeah, the next you one. Share, I really you like share it. A little bit about I, it. Like I said, I don't even play this game, but I was really taken away by the lore. <laughs> they have a lot of cool characters. I, I did a lot of stuff. research yeah. the past two days and I was really, really interested in the lore. Um, so the next guy is called Gragas. Yeah, Gragas um, the Rabble Rouser. And so this guy is a huge human. He's he's got the biggest belly you ever see. Yeah, ever. Yep. Yeah. Basically looks like a giant dwarf. Yeah. Um, a fat a dwarf. He looks like the the orange haired dwarf from The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much what he looks. And he always carries around this keg with him. Is that what he uses as a weapon in the game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. His keg. So uh, to Gragas, fighting is really important. But drinking is more important. Yeah. In fact, he <laughs> loves cracking kegs as much as he loves cracking heads. He has heads. a move that he drinks part of his beer and it gives <laughs> him like like defensive abilities and also attack power at the mm-hmm. same time. Really and cool. so uh, he's one of the aspects of him is he's got a really temperamental nature. So it says that drinking with him could like be risking yourself because yeah. he might freak out and hurt you. Uh, but one of the interesting things about him is that what would Gragas's top score of ability scores be in it'd be in constitution like totally in constitution it's real it's like near impossible for him to get drunk off of alcohol in fact he can't get drunk off of normal alcohol so one of his goals in life is to make his own alcohol his 
own ultimate ale that gets him drunk. He has this dream of reaching this drunken blissfulness, and he still to this day, even with his own alcohol that he makes, he still hasn't reached this yeah. goal. And so he goes to the Freljord to get certain ingredients that are only in this land to make this ultimate ale. And there's this story behind them that I thought was so cool. Basically, he comes into contact with oh, yeah, two factions that are on the brink of fighting. And he bumbles in. He's a little bit tipsy. He bumbles in. And Ashes, Ash, the ranger queen that we talked about, who uh, always likes to negotiate, does not want to fight, but she will if she has to, sees this guy coming in and she's like, okay, good, something to break the tension. Uh, so he kind of bumbles in. He doesn't break the tension. His attitude, basically the other side besides Ash, is like really mad that he came in and just like interrupted their talk where they're at the point of going into battle. He bumbles in. They get mad. He gets mad back. They start. He uses his head, his classic headbutt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Takes like a guy down, and a big battle starts. So all of a sudden, like Ash <laughs> thinks, oh, here, maybe this will be good. No, it's not. No, so they start fighting, but somehow the battle ends up. They're all drinking Gragas's uh, special ale, and they're all just getting drunk and having Which a great time. Which is way time. more important than normal yeah. ale. Too. So he begins a battle with his attitude, and he ends the battle with his drink. And, like, basically the the battle it ends with them on peaceful terms, and he stops this huge battle and a lot of lies from dying because he loves to drink and he makes yeah. sale. One of the things that I thought would be cool of a Gragas character is perhaps, like, having him a barkeep in your world. And, you know, most of the time you think of a barkeep as not somebody that you would be scared to fight, but Gragas could be a... A warrior who is more interested, a strong warrior who's more interested in getting drunk, and so he runs a bar. I think that'd be a very, you know, a Gragas-like character would do something like that. And so you could have this this strong warrior who loves to drink and always like enjoys the company of people who are going to drink in this tavern. I think that that'd be a sweet NPC idea, a Gragas-like character. Kind of reminds me of like. Hamish a little bit from like yeah. <laughs> Hunger Games like he's just always drunk he's like supposed to be this great powerful warrior yep. and yet is just always drunk and alcohol is never That's never a, that'd be a good adventure hook too the having the the barkeep the Gragas like barkeep who loves to drink but he can't get drunk and maybe your guys have to go find an alcohol that can get this character drunk <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so the uh, the next champion we're going to talk about is uh, Trindamir, the Barbarian King. He's he's one of my favorite champions. I played him back in the uh, early league, but he's... I've always hated him, honestly. <laughs> you hate him? I could never get the hang of him. Oh, he's very annoying, trust me. I'm a different... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of like Sejuani, just in his like barbarian ways. He's very like uh, fighter-type person, but his backstory is... He was in his own tribe, right? And one, like, night, some tribe came and, like, pillaged and raided and killed and destroyed his village. And it was led by a dark, shadowy figure who I believe is canon now. I think they figured out it was Aatrox. It was Aatrox, yeah. Yeah, it was Aatrox, and uh, who was another league champion. Uh, we're not going to talk much about him. He's not from Freljord. He just kind of came he's from. <laughs> he's from Noxus, one of the... Stop yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about him. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Get back to Trinity. But... He did destroy Trindamir's village and kill everyone he knows. And he like he like basically the 
he commanded a group of people to, and she gave them bloodlust and made them like yes, go crazy and kill everyone. <laughs> it's so irrelevant. So irrelevant. Let's go on to uh, Volibear. How about that? <laughs> but, uh, Trindamir. So he, like, fueled with rage, like, he basically, like, was on the brink of dying. And, like, Atrox, it was said that he, like, looked at, like, looked at him and smiled and, like, vanished into shadow. And Trindamir, like, fueled with so much rage, just, like, went in this, like, I don't know, like, immor- like immortal state where he just couldn't die. And he's just, like, is fueled by this rage and is very venge- uh, vengeful and wonderful. And he's, Another... he's married to Ash. It, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm not familiar with how that started, but basically, um... It was more him political. And Ash, yeah, it was more political yeah. than anything, yeah. They are actually married, mm-hmm. but it's not a romantic thing. It's 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 not like Romeo and Juliet. It's very just like, <laughs> you want the same thing I do for the people. Let's, like, <laughs> let's make this official just for the people. So he's kind of like this, like, unofficial, official king of Freljord, I guess you'd say. And But he is part of Ash's Avarosan clan or tribe, or whatever you want to say. I think that this character is... What I take away from this character to put into D- D&D is... <laughs> more the idea less of him as an npc uh more the idea of northern barbarians in this kind of land and of course you can have a king of the barbarians or chieftains of barbarian clans but this i like the idea of like a northern cold climate would have harsh harsh people who live harsh lives and the idea of barbarian clans uh, would be to me a great aspect to add into this yeah. kind of a yeah. world. Yeah. It, kind of a land. Yep. Um, I actually like the next one that we're going to talk about. I played a lot of this champion, Volibear. Volibear is an Ursine, which is like big anthropomorphic bear, who when he gets really, really mad, he, he normally walks on two legs, but when he gets really, really mad and goes into his rage, he gets down on all fours and chases after whoever he has in his sights to inflict just a ton of he, uh, uh, his appearance reminds me of the armored bears from the Golden Compass series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Though that lore. But yeah, that's kind of... He, he looks like a bear that yep. wears armor. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of... He, he was like the main shaman within the village that he was a part of, the clan that he was a part of. And there was there were some things going on in his village, and he wanted to go up to the top of the Ursine Sacred Mountain, uh, which was a place that had a huge like thunderstorm going That's on. That's where the Maelstrom it. Yeah, was. the Maelstrom, yeah, yeah. The vortex uh, that we talked about. Yep, is where the Maelstrom comes from. And on his way up, he was struck by an extremely unnatural and powerful bolt of lightning. And when he woke up, he had this vision of the Freljord that was just... It was completely consumed by darkness. And, and Volibear and his race were... He knew that they would perish if they did not prepare for war. And so this is where they kind of went from being a kind of docile, I guess. Kind They'd of been like, like, because they were so secluded, they had become pretty peaceful all right, the time, which right. is not the way their race, the Earth signs, were supposed to be warlike, and they were supposed to be fierce, and they were becoming way more right. docile than they should be. Yep. And so he, he like, rushed back down the mountain uh, after this, and he was like, I have this vision now, I have to tell everybody about it. And so he actually... If I read this right, he went to war against his own kind, if I remember right. He he meets he meets the three clan leaders at the bottom of the mountain and they basically they don't like what he's been doing and so they get in a fight with him. They don't want him to stop the peace among their people and he is almost killed by them and that's when he lets off lightning. Right. He taps into his power. Right. And Which they're he didn't like, know he really had until yeah, that point. And time. there was like a prophecy or something surrounding the true leader and they're just like, whoa, this is it. 
and they make him the true chief right. of the clan, and that leads the Ursine to be once again more war- warlike and fierce. There's a quote that I saw online that I really liked from him that says, the Ursine will not know peace without war. Without war. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a cool, cool aspect. That's a sweet NPC idea to have a... We had an email recently about someone trying to make anthropomorphic creatures in their world and yeah. bears were one of them. One of them was a bear, uh, yeah. This is a polar bear anthropomorphic yep. race and this is a good place to get an idea for a society-like structure, to get you know idea for an NPC leader, a Ursine or Ursa or whatever you want to call this race in your mm-hmm. world that leads these bears yep. um, into battle and they're you don't, you know, if they're not, they almost to me, you know, I don't want to put a alignment on everything, but they to me seemed like a good type of people, but are very much so focused on war and they're not going to back down from a fight. Yeah, yeah, and it says that uh, over time, like they they became allied with Sejuani, who's also this like survival of the fittest, mm-hmm. strong to fight against who he figured out the darkness was going to come from, who was Lysandra and and the Frost Watchers. And so they they became this over time. Of course, this wasn't something that happened overnight, but they became extremely strong and extremely fierce. Uh, and they're known throughout the land as some of the most fearsome warriors. Even though there's not a ton of them, they are extremely powerful. And they now, and another quote says, they now stand ready for the dark day that looms on the icy horizon of the Freljord. So they are ready whenever that big war is going to happen, which is basically inevitable at this point in time. Um, so that's Volibear. I love this character. I love the idea of a a Ursine shaman who has the ability to harness uh, uh, lightning from the super powerful storm that he was struck by uh, in the past. The next NPC idea that we're going to talk about is this guy called Trundle, who is a troll, and he's known as the Troll King. And so Trundle is one of the frost trolls of the Feljord, and one of his aspects that I like is that he's really smart for a troll. Uh, especially if you're going on D&D lore, trolls are not smart creatures. Right. So this is a really, this is a great idea for a NPC who's going to be a villain. Trundle the Troll King. So he's really smart for a troll. Basically what happened was Trundle wanted to become the king of the trolls. And so he, he didn't, he kind of, it's kind of the idea of the Volibear. His tribe was not really going into war. His people weren't, and he wanted to rekindle that warlikeness in his people and so he he made a challenge to the the troll leader at the time and he gets his butt kicked and so he's basically about to be killed and he on the spot comes up with a story just makes it up pulls it right out of his butt about the old ways of the troll were that if a troll could find a magical old weapon of old that that signified that they were to be the true leader of the trolls. And he just comes up with this story. He uses his wits, and he comes up with this story. And the rest of the trolls, not being a smart people, heard this story and believed him. They they didn't catch on that he was just making it up. He rolled a good bluff check, I yeah. suppose. And the troll leader at the time was like, he's, he's not going to be able to do this. Go ahead. Go find this old powerful weapon in return and I'll give you the leadership thinking that Trundle was going to walk off into the tundra and die alone Uh, so Trundle goes and he enters into the territory of the Frost Guard and the Ice Witch uh, Lysandra 
and he he kills a bunch of the frost guard and he finds this club called bone shiver and it's one of the true yeah. ice weapons it's, an, it's one of the artifacts yeah yep. so that would mean that it was probably in the citadel where Lassan, yeah got all the way very into well the could main be. place where they were out and so he's like i got it and he's about to return and the ice witch appears and she's about to just kill him and once again his life is on the line and his the wit yeah. yeah and his wits once again save him he proposes to the ice witch instead of killing me wouldn't you rather have a bunch of a troll army at your side fighting for you if you let me go back i will become the king of the trolls and i will serve you loyally and so she likes that idea lets him return the the current troll leader sees this weapon as he returns bone shiver this huge club and regretfully lets trundle become the troll king i think that trundle the troll king is a great idea for a villain in a campaign a a troll and a troll that is smart it doesn't even have to be a troll but you could take a an enemy of a race that is normally thought of stu- being stupid and you can make them a smart leader you know that's why he that's why he became the leader because not because of his strength but because of his his smarts his brains yeah yeah, I think he's a really cool, really cool idea for a champion mm-hmm. uh, or a, a D&D PC a villain, or, yeah. a, or a villain or an NPC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think he's really cool. So the next person we're going to talk about is this champion known as Uter the Spirit Walker. And uh, he is actually part of uh, the, what were they called? The uh, Winner's, Re- uh, Winner's Claw. Yep. All right. He, when he was a baby, he was born under, I believe it was a, like a red moon or something, which was like a prophecy with his people that he would become something known as a uh, spirit walker or something. And the spirit walker sensed, like when he was a child, they sensed this um, this evil or this presence of unbalance because he's, he's mostly like a druid or a shaman type character. Mm-hmm. He's very about like the elements and he has these four forms. Uh, there's like a tiger form, which, uh, let me just check, is the... Uh, like the speed and ferocity, now, the turtle, which is all about. Now, can he actually shapeshift? Uh, it's like he takes on the essence. Yeah, he takes yeah, on he the essence like shape abilities. Yeah, so these like he, spirit. Well, animals. he 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 like it, in the game itself. You don't have to do this necessarily in the world, but in the game itself, he does like his clothing changes a little bit when he goes into different stances and stuff like that. But um, he still he remains half dozen. Half yeah, dozen. half dozen, it's half weird. dozen. Yeah. So it's not. It's like it's kind of in some senses like a druid. But in some senses, yeah. not. Right. It's more of a tapping into the it's power. Not, it's of not the a animal full shape than like shape a druid. He just more gains abilities yeah. like a, like like that. You know, if you change like if into you... a tiger or if you change yeah. into whatever. So uh, you said tiger gives him the speed and ferocity, yeah. turtle resilience, uh, bear like the might, and then he has the final form, which is phoenix, which is the eternal flame, mm-hmm. as he calls it. Yep. And with these four, he can you know, he could become very powerful. You would imagine. So I would I would consider him probably like a druid type character, but he's all about balance, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's traveling through the Freljord, and he uh, they encounter the him and the uh, I think it's called like the Spirit Walker, which is like the thing like um, teaching him the ways of like balance and it almost but the Spirit Walker it almost seemed like there was only one Spirit Walker at a time. Yeah, this is like and yeah. whoever yeah. was born whoever was born to take up that mantle was taught by the older one. Until the older one died, and then he would assume that yeah. position, which is yep. pretty friggin' sweet. I like that lore. Yeah, it's like a uh, a lineage almost. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. So anyway, so him and the Spearwalker, he's still a kid at this point. 
they encounter the Ice Witch, Lysandra. And a battle ensues. Lysandra wins and ends up killing his uh, mentor or the, the spirit walker. And, and they're, they're uh, trapped within, like, underneath, like, snow and ice. And Uter lets out this giant roar that, like, shakes mountaintops, like, at the death of his, uh, his mentor. And now he's kind of, like, fueled with this rage to rid the Ice Witch of her influence in his homeland, the Freljord. Yeah, and he, he has this... He's, like, supposedly, like, really freaking powerful. Yeah. Like, if he taps into all of those spirit animals, he becomes really powerful. But it's, like, this power... That's like wild. I almost I thought of uh, the Phoenix in Marvel, like taking over Jean mm. Grey. Like he can't control it, and so he goes off for a while to a monastery in another land, and they teach him how to control his power, and then he returns. Because that was after his Spirit Walker companion died, right? Yep, he yep. went off to the monastery, and so he yeah. comes back eventually because he feels the call of the Freljord calling him. I think that not only is he a great idea for a NPC-like character in your world, but I really, really like this idea of the Spirit Walkers, and I think that it'd be cool to have the Spirit Walkers be a class, even, if you uh, could make a class yeah. Druid-like, but I think it'd be cool to make a Druid-like class that didn't actually change into the animals that they would change into, but instead when they called upon spirits of certain animals and gained certain bonuses at that time. If they called upon the spirit of the tiger, they would get a bonus of speed and ferocity, turtle. There, it doesn't have to be the four that were mentioned. It could be all these other ones. Call but I spirit really... of dolphin, yeah. owl, house cat. <laughs> house cat. <laughs> have you seen... Able uh... to nap for 20 hours yeah, a day. Yeah. Have you seen Hot Rod? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's where it comes from. The house, the house cat. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that idea of the Spirit Walkers being a class. Maybe I'll make one and throw it up online, yeah. the Spirit Walker class. Yeah. Uh, but cool. yeah, I think that's a great idea to pull into your world. Yeah. Last, but certainly not least, is Anivia, the Cryo Phoenix. This champion, I've never actually played her, but she seems extremely, extremely cool. She is what's considered an Eternal Guardian of the Freljord. She is completely made out of like ice and she joins with ash and the avarosan as a as a peaceful uh, companion to see the freljord um, to defeat the coming darkness that he saw with it that she saw within uh, lissandra and so she finds herself situated atop the the top of like the tallest mountains in the iron peak so it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the eagles from lord, lord of the, the rings, rings a little bit yeah but she's the only one and she has she was there before anybody else was in the frail yard. She she came, she's lived, she's died, and she's been reborn. So she has all the aspects of a phoenix. Like if she dies, she takes on an egg and reforms out of that again. Uh, so she really can like never die, and she's constantly looking to see the frail yard brought back to its original glory without Lysandra being there. She wants to see it in peace. And so I think that's really cute, really, really cool. She her her quote is because she has been here so long. Her quote is is this. It says, "I am the fury of the blizzard, the bite of the wind, and the cold of the ice. I am the frailyard." So she kind of like she was the original one, and she's like, "Look, this is not how it's supposed to be. I was here originally. I know what it's supposed to be like here. I want to see everything peaceful back the way it was, no matter what the cost. She will do anything that she can to make that uh, the way it was." So I think that's a really cool 
D&D character to possibly add into. That's, I think that's a great point to make even about an NPC uh, to add into your world. I think when we think of NPCs, a lot of times we think of playable races. Um, we think of humanoids. Like, it doesn't have to... Like, this creature is a bird that can speak. And in D&D lore, uh, the giant eagles can speak common. Uh, we encountered a sphinx in our campaign recently. Yep. Uh, that's an NPC, but it's it's different than just meeting another guy, another human, another elf, whatever it is. Yep. Um, a powerful being that is not a humanoid. I think those can be really memorable NPCs. So those are just some of the champions from the world of League of Legends, from the Freljord, that uh, we think can be a great inspiration for you as DMs to create really interesting NPCs in your world. There's some other aspects that we want to talk about before we wrap things up with the Freljord. One being the races of the Freljord that you could make into in your game. Now, Chris, uh, you're going to make stats for both of these? Yeah, I, I, I have one for the bears that I can throw up. Yeah. I need to tweak a little bit. But... So Chris is going to make some stats, uh, 5e stats, yes, yep. for both the Iceborne and the Ursine races. And so let's let's talk about the Iceborne first. We've talked about the Iceborne. We don't need to talk a lot about them, but I like... Basically, one of the cool things about the Iceborne... First of all, they're magically enchanted to control ice. Yep. They're immortal. Immortal in the sense of the elves in Lord of the Rings, like they can still get stabbed and killed. Yeah. But death is a, yeah. death would be a big thing. Yep. One of the things that I found is that they can change their appearance at will. Yep. And they're among the most powerful races in the League of Legends universe. One of the things that I thought was really cool about the Iceborne is Chris, you're gonna make stats for them, but at the same time, you could just take the idea of an Iceborne like race and place them into your world. I thought of the the Dwelmer from Skyrim, yeah. they are a people group from the world of the Elder Scrolls, but they have been extinct for a long time. How does that affect your world? Well, your players can come across structures, ruins, uh, dungeons that were built by this ancient people that no longer are alive. Yeah. And if you bring back, like, like Lysandra is an Iceborne, if you encounter one of these guys... It's a big thing. I'm still waiting in the Elder Scrolls games to come across a Dwelmer. I, I know guess, they're going to do so it every I, now, someday. I will actually tell you this. I listened to an Elder Scrolls podcast, mm-hmm. and they say you actually meet one hmm. in Morrowind. I don't remember huh. exactly where it was. I played Morrowind, but it's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, they say you actually meet one in huh. Morrowind. I don't remember exactly how it works, but yeah, they there, there was yeah. actually one in there somewhere, I guess. But yeah, so I'll be making stats for that, throwing it up. Uh, there'll be 5e stats. You can yeah. look for them soon. But the other one is the the Ursines, uh, the anthropomorphic polar bears. They are a fierce and warlike race. And I I might because Five E has like different you know sides. They have mm-hmm. you know different variations of this that you could do. I might make one that is more peaceful, like they originally were. And I might make one that's like the warring faction yeah. too to to throw out there. But they are thousands of years old. They are extremely old. An old race again. A very old race, and they're they're pretty secluded because in the lore of I don't like to meddle with other races. Yeah, like, and, why would and the we? thing is too, like you read in the the League of Legends lore, they're they're kind of just waiting for like they're they're kind of waiting for that big battle to happen, and that's when they're going to assert themselves uh, when that final big battle happens. So if you do run across one, if you are, if you do have somebody that's an NPC uh, as an Ursine, it'd be really rare. Like people know of them, but they don't necessarily see them all the time. 
because they live in seclusion a lot. Now we're going to talk about the items made of true ice. These are mostly just weapons or armor pieces. So I think we just talked about this a little bit before. Uh, true ice. True ice is like a phenomenon. It exists in Freljord, and it's just this. Basically, it's a material. It's just ice, but it's it's uh it, it doesn't melt. It's just this magical matter. It's this magical ice that's just very powerful. I think that's um, so, so cool. It's like it's an ice that's so cold. It says. That doesn't melt no matter where you bring it. Yeah. So you could bring this. This ice is so, like, magically cold that you could bring it into a desert, and it's still, like, cold. Like, I imagine, like, people in a desert, like, with, uh, like, Brahms' shield, just, like, wanting to chill next to Brahms' shield because they're, like, sweating from the sun. It's like that magical oasis out in the middle (laughs) of the the desert. Like, here, I'm going to hold my drink up to your shield for a little bit. Yep. Did you guys see uh, Waterboy, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember he has a little vial of like the Arctic the, uh, water, the Alaskan <laughs> Arctic still water, cold. or something like that. It's still yeah, cold. it's still cold. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. That's what that's what it reminds yeah. me. Of. But um, what the people of Freljord have done, like the Master Smiths, they have taken this substance and they they use it to forge these weapons that we're about to talk about uh, in armor. Some examples of these weapons, and like of course you can make your own. These are just uh, the ones we're taking from League of Legends, but you know there's plenty of things you can make with this. So one of them is Avaros's bow. That is, I believe, the bow that Ash uses, yep. and it's basically it's just a bow that does basically ice damage, or like I guess in the D and D world it could be, you know, enchanted to do uh, extra ice damage on hit or slow, which it doesn't. In uh, it does that in League of Legends, it slows yeah. the enemy. Yeah, yeah, which is really nice. Yep. But uh, yeah, it did say an archer type character. It did say in the lore too that it like somehow magically binds itself to its its uh, its owner On- too. Which happens to Ash actually in the lore. It says that she finds Avaros's tomb and digs the the bow out of it, and it's like this painful event for her. But then, yet she has the ability to manipulate this bow and, and do this extra cold damage. It's like it, it bound itself to her. So that's kind of a cool thing that you might be able to add to that too. I think that um, I like the idea of like we said, it's so cold that it never melts. I would imagine, especially if you're making armor, like. You would not just make armor made of this stuff. You'd have padding on yeah, the inside. Yeah, you'd line the inside. You could have stuff. along with this, like, and the bow, I would imagine, has to have, like, a handle. But you could have, like, a, a trait of this, these kind of weapons be if somebody tries to touch an area that's not protected by a special handle or, a, or like, padding or they, like, you could... You could treat it as in when you have spikes in your armor, if you were to grapple somebody, you do piercing damage to them. You could have it in the same sense do cold damage if you're wearing this kind of armor. Because if this stuff is so cold that it won't melt even in desert, I don't imagine people are holding a (laughs) staff of, of true ice without having a special handle on it because... Your hand would freeze to it. It's like, it, what did you say? It like binds itself to yeah. the user. Yeah. That's why. Because yeah. <laughs> you can't let go. That's yeah. why Brahm has never let go of a shield. Because yeah, he, right. he can't let go. Don't put your tongue on this stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> you have to cut your tongue off. Warning. <laughs> yeah. Warning written in Iceborne Runes. It yeah. says, don't place yeah. tongue on sword. Yeah. <laughs> and if anybody does that and you add true ice to your campaign, please let us know. We will share that story. That'd be great. <laughs> Um, the next one, Andrew, you want to talk about this one as well? Because this is your favorite yes. dude. Yeah, Brahm's shield. So this is the shield we were talking about, which is actually a door, mm-hmm. but it is uh, made of true ice. Um, it has it has a layer of true ice within it. So it's like a door with inside of it is true ice. This makes it very strong. 
uh, and he can use it to uh, like it makes like a magical barrier at times when he needs it to to like protect anyone this would, or anything. This was absolutely in the D and D world be a tower shield, oh, no yeah. doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. It would have to. Um, that being said, these are just examples in the LOL world. You can make whatever weapon you want yep. out of it. Yep. One of the properties of the, these items and these weapons would definitely have to be that if you play with breakable weapons. These would not ever break. Yeah, it's are, that would be a cool property of this kind of stuff. Uh, so, what would you do with crit ones? Um, you you would re- <laughs> going back to that crit one system that we talked about yeah. in our uh, last episode. Or yeah, was was, our last no, episode. not our last episode. Two episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, we would you, you licked it. We you lick it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the crit one. <laughs> you're in the middle of battle and it swings past your tongue and your touch ca- tongue catches your tongue rips out and now you're a mute. Yeah, <laughs> now you're the worst crit yeah. one ever. No, I think I just have them re-roll again on the crit one yeah. fumble system. Maybe I'd we say. should get that Mark, make Magic sense. Mark one of these. Yeah, right? stories about how Magic he's Mark tons needs of a. He broken, needs a, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> Hashtag Magic Mark clumsy. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I can do the next one if you want. Sejuani's yeah. bola. These are, these are pretty cool. So Sejuani has what is called a bola. If you haven't seen a picture of a bola, it's like two stones. Ebola. <laughs> yeah. Sejuani's you haven't seen bolas. a picture of Ebola. <laughs> if you haven't seen a picture of it, no. Don't. Sejuani's bola. Uh, Ebola is. <laughs> bolas are. However, I'm just gonna go for it. Sejuani's bola. Too, too soon, Chris. Too soon. <laughs> uh, too soon. Yeah. Sejuani's bola is two stones with a chain attached to the middle of them, and. What she does with this uh, item in the game is she throws it, and if it hits somebody, it like it dazes them and freezes them in place, and it lets off like this this super powerful magic after it actually hits something that slows or if they're close enough actually freezes them in split in place too. Um, and so in the D and D world, you could have it do like it could be one of those things that's like once you throw it, you throw it. You can't use it the rest of this 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 encounter, but you throw it and it hits something. If it hits a person, it will like freeze them in place and That's haze a, them. That would be a sweet weapon. It would be, be such a cool. It would weapon. be. Yeah. And then if it hits something, it explodes, like lets off the super powerful energy of cold damage that does not not a ton. I would imagine cold damage around to the people, but it does enough that it's like. Whoa, that's a pretty crazy weapon. That would be awesome happen. for like a bounty hunter type character yeah. who chases down bounties. Like, yeah, you just freeze that bounty. Yep, and then take out his guards. Like, yep. The next item is Trundle's club. If you remember Trundle the Troll King, uh, his club Bone Shiver. And so, uh, upon a successful hit with this club, ice shards break off of the club and stick into the opponent that deal extra cold damage over time. I think that would be a sweet weapon to put. I think all of these are sweet ideas of weapons to put into your campaign, especially if you're if your players are unfamiliar with League of Legends. None of these weapons are gonna be familiar to them. And they're gonna just be like, "Wow, that's such a sweet thing." But going along with that, this material of True Ice could be an awesome addition to a tundra-like land that you create. That your players can yeah. create weapons made of this stuff. Now, I think it should be a rarity. Oh, yeah. It should yeah. not be something... It should cost well, a lot it, to it make. Takes, it takes special master crafters to do it, too. Yeah. So it's not just like... And I would imagine it would have to be somebody who is very fluent in true ice. It can't just be any master crafter that could do it. But yeah, this would be something that you wouldn't give to your players. Like, first level, here's some true ice weapons. <laughs> you know, it'd be something that they would really have to earn in some way, shape, or mm-hmm. form. Uh, or maybe it's something you 
let them to aspire to like maybe we can have one of these weapons someday but you only ever give them to NPCs yeah. and they just think it's super cool <laughs> that they have true ice in their world so that's that's about all we have for you as far as this edition of League of Legends lore. I hope you enjoyed the the failure as a whole. I know looking this up, I got really excited about doing this episode. And, and Mitch, I think you were kind of like, oh, League of Legends. Well, yes. it was my idea to do this because I knew you were really yeah. into League of Legends. Yep. And I have my friend Andrew, and hopefully in the future we'll be joined by another friend of mine who loves this kind of stuff. He was busy tonight. I thought that it would be a good idea because I knew a lot of people like this yeah. game. And I think I had a great idea, because this is a lot of cool... Yeah. Like I said, I don't play League of Legends. This is a lot of cool information that you could bring yeah, there's a ideas lot of cool lore. from this lore into your world. Yep, yep. So that's that's all we have for you. We are going to move on to our light bulb moment for this episode. Light bulb. So for the light bulb this week, this is something that might not pertain to a lot of you as a good idea, but maybe a few of you will go, that's a sweet idea and want to do this. Yeah. Andrew, you had come up to Michigan to visit for like a good two weeks, I think last Christmas, and yep, we just like... Two weeks of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> and we just, we keep <laughs> telling Andrew he needs to move up here. Hey, Andrew, uh, you still need to move out here. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Over Christmas, you and me, were we do a lot of just sitting around, just hanging out. Uh, we love to do that. And so we're just sitting around <laughs> chit-chatting, and I don't even know why we started talking about it. We started talking about how, as like young kids, we used to, both of us, and we didn't know each other back then. This is not like, oh, we did this together. It was, we, we, didn't, yeah. we didn't know each other until your senior year of high school. But as young mm-hmm. kids, we both made our own board games. And, like, I remember I made, like, games that had to do with Nintendo characters, because that's what I liked at the time, and we were talking about, like, that kind of thing. And an idea that we both came up with that we wanted to do was we're like, dude, let's make a Risk board game on your world of Autos. And so we went out to Michael's, or no, Hobby Lobby, and we got a canvas for really cheap, and we spray-painted it blue, we outlined my world from a map that I had made, and... I think we broke it up into a, gr- a grid, right? And that's how we... Yeah. Uh, you've taken some art classes. I've dabbled in yeah. art, too. And so we basically made a grid on it, and we made all the lands in my world, outlined them, painted them different colors to match a risk-type world. We'll put pictures up on our website, as we always do, of our risk board. But we made a risk board of our my world of Atos, and we've played a couple times... Yeah. Um, we've we've played in my world of autos on of risk and it's been really really fun actually that's where most of the questions about is this world flat or round because you can't get from each side to another like you would be able to in america and so everybody asks like is it flat or round what's the deal i will say this every time i play risk I get to the point where I just get bored playing it. Yeah, you it. do. So I try to, <laughs> Well, because like... we don't like to... Most of us don't like to do the classic, you get ten turns, and then whoever's controlled. Yeah. So you're kind of that, like, bomb and risk that like, gets to the right, point where... Board bomb. It's just a ticking time bomb. And then it's just happens. like, all right, Chris is going... Yeah. Chris is not playing strategically anymore. He's ruining everybody's yeah. plans. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, don't you have a card in your game where it lets you go to, like, whatever... Like yeah. country you want. So, and so I you have don't have to, obviously you don't have to make this game as complicated as me and Andrew made it, but I made, if you've ever played any of the risks such as Godstorm, I made a bunch of cards that you can play with heroes in the game that are your guys' NPC, or your guys' PCs from past campaigns or NPCs that you guys love and uh, are 
big parts. Andrew's pyre fear shot is in there. He's got a cool mm-hmm. power that he can like shoot people with his bow. Um, Chris's Cruor character. Oh no, Cruor's in there. Who is Cade? Right? No, Cruor's in there. Cruor, yeah. Or no, 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 no not uh, Cruor. They're all with C's. All your characters. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh, I don't remember. His the Kojin. Yeah, the Kojin one. Anyway, one of Chris's characters is in there. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't remember his own players. Where are your cards? Starts with a K. Somewhere. And so we made we made a bunch of cards. There's like basically if you play Magic, there's like instant cards that you can add like a bunch of uh, units into play, and you have to buy these cards. So it's very Godstorm like Risk if you've ever played it. You don't have to make a game that complicated. I me most of us like really complicated board games, so it's a fun thing for us. But you can just make a normal kind of Risk and play it and make your world. Go out, buy a canvas, spray paint it blue, outline your world's map, and we have ours just hanging on the wall in uh, our D&D, my D&D room, which is my kitchen, Yeah. <laughs> much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's a sweet-looking thing that we can pull down and we can play. And the canvases are really good to make this on because they're really strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have to worry really about somebody busting through with it and we just use the godstorm pieces but you can go online and buy from ebay risk pieces for really cheap. yeah they're they're pretty inexpensive it was it was super fun to work on this with andrew andrew any other uh, things to say about this this idea I, I, i'm like so proud of it like the only, <laughs> it, it stinks because when i was with you and we like spent like two like we spent like a good like yeah. week week and a half like working on this thing um, I didn't finish a lot of the like, cards or anything at that point so you haven't really experienced yeah. experienced it yet right yeah Next time I come up, I'll see all the new cards and crazy yep. stuff you probably added. You just not but, play um, with them when he comes back <laughs> up. It, it was it, it was it was still playable. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we like, like play tested it a yeah. lot. Yeah, and it, it, like it was so much fun, and it, it stinks because like you know I put all this time into it, and then I, you I had leave, to leave, and I'm like, oh. we we both sign the bottom I, I, of I it. Can't, yeah. I can't cut the board in half <laughs> and bring it home. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That'd be a horrible risk. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun making. So, like, I don't know, if anyone in their D&D group wants to, uh, like, make it a group project and make, like, any type of board. It doesn't have to be risk. It can be any board. Yeah. But it, it is a really fun project. And we, we spent a good week, week and a half working on it. And he's apparently still making cards <laughs> for it. And, and it's it's just fun seeing all the new cards. And it's, like, it's different every time we play. And it's, it's fun seeing old characters, uh, just characters from his world that we played so many times and seeing them in, like, this other game, and, and which was really another fun. Another idea, to, if, you, if this is something you want to do, if this is something you like, you could, you could, like, get together with your friends and each of them, we have, like, instead of the green pieces just being the green, each represents a race, you could have them represent a nation or whatever and have them start in a specific place and you could play and the outcome of the game could actually be something that happens in your world if you would want and that would be like giving your players like the power of setting forth a campaign even that's an idea not yeah. one you have to use mm-hmm. you don't have to use any of our ideas but you know <laughs> then you're kind of wasting your time just listening. a light bulb yeah. <laughs> then you're wasting your time listening to our podcast so but if that's what you want to do then that's what you can do all right, let's, we're done here. Done with the light bulb. Let's move on to the mailbag of holding. They have been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? All right, so once again, we're at the mailbag of holding, where we reach into the bag and we pull out ideas, stories, or questions from you, the listener, because you've sent us all these awesome questions, ideas, and stories through email. 
So keep, continue to do that. Today uh, we're going to talk about an email that we got from Friar Took. So Friar Took emailed us and he shared with us a lot uh, of good info, a lot of experiences that he has had to deal with as DM. A lot of what you would say are DM problems, in a sense. Yeah. And he kind of shared with us, he's like, you guys have talked about this on the episode. I haven't had to deal with this. I just had to deal with yeah. it. And oh my gosh, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. So uh, one of the first things that he shared with us about is he had to deal with his first PC deaths. And so two of his characters died. And he basically... The guys that he plays with are newbies to this game, yeah. too. And he basically told us that it was a really hard, hard moment. Like, he could tell that his his players were really upset that his char- their characters have died. It was a very awkward, intense moment. We know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Chris, you just recently had to deal with one of my characters' yep, death. Yep. And, and I was just like, Chris, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd rather a character die than, you know, you... Fake give me back Fake life. I would, I, if my character dies, I want you. him to die. Yeah. It could yeah. be hard in the moment, but it's it's got to happen. But yeah. And so he was faced. He said he was faced with a couple of different scenarios. He's like, uh, do I? He had to make, make a decision. Yeah. yeah. He's like, do I make them re-roll? He's like, mm-hmm. do I do that type of new thing? character? Yeah. A new character. He said they didn't have any money. Yeah. Like they he were wanted like dirt poor. He decided he didn't want to make them make new characters. He decided that. At this time, in his as a DM, he would only make them make new characters if it was a total party kill. If right. All of his party died. So if they fight a dragon, <laughs> yeah, uh, or a giant stone stat- yeah. statue, right, Andrew? Yeah. <laughs> if they yeah. don't, if they don't run away, <laughs> yeah, right, just um, run. <laughs> uh, but if it's a total party kill, he'll make them make new characters. That'll be a tough decision. I'm, I'm waiting for the email from Friar Took. We just had our total party kill. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but he said that he decided he'd let them resurrect their characters. But he said what? Yeah, that they're it was, dirt poor. Yeah, it was going to take a very large service in order to perform this right. Mm-hmm. Which he says it's a plot hook. Mm-hmm. You need to have a plot hook. <laughs> and so he decides to make this into a plot hook for his campaign, which I think is cool. Basically, they're going to have to somehow get the means to resurrect these two players. And I think that's the best way that you can do it, turn it into an adventure. And so he asks us, like, he asks maybe for some feedback. And so we'll give feedback for each of these DM problems a little bit. And so if you've, already, you've already written to him. But let's, let's talk about just, we've talked about it before, death of a player. You mentioned to him, yeah, your first time was really hard. That was my character but did you give him any advice beyond that no i i it sounded to me like he had something like yeah. he was like I like he's on the right page like i think he he's i think he is it, yeah which is pretty cool that's that's one way you mm-hmm. could solve it. it's like if you're if your party's like just starting out and they're dirt poor mm-hmm. create some sort of plot hook where whatever temple you have to go to to get resurrected they're like well you're gonna have to do something for us if we're gonna use this super powerful magic that's gonna take a lot out of us to yeah. do uh, and that could be multiple different things. There could be uh, if you are in a temple to whatever god you're going to go to, uh, you may have them. They have to, you know, these these clerics of this of this god may have been looking for this specific item for a really really long time, and they send you out as an adventuring group to go and find that item and bring it back, and that will be in turn their payment to resurrect this god. That's that's one thing that I can think of. Yeah, for I, that type of thing. I think we had a, we had a lot of ideas shared on the. Uh, episode 9 about death and dying yeah. and stuff, but just to quick go over some things, uh, the plot hook is a good idea, 
But like even then, what do you have the players do in the meantime? I think you can let them, if there's an NPC you've already introduced, let them control that NPC for a while. I think a good thing would to be if they want to make a new character, one thing that you could have is you could give your players the opportunity to say, hey, if you want to have a backup character just made up so that if your character ever dies, you can grab this and you don't have to leave the table at night because we share on that, that episode, don't ever make somebody leave the table. Don't yeah. let them sit at the table and have yeah. nothing to do either. Like You want to engage your entire party. But there's it is definitely a DM problem. There's never going to be a moment, I shouldn't say never, but... Most of the times, if a player character dies, it's going to be hard for you and for your player. And hopefully you're not the vengeful DM that just wants to you know, kill a character because that's not what we're made right. to do. We're, right. We are on the player's sides. That's what it should be. Yep. But it's a, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult thing for a player to... Uh, Andrew, you never had to deal with a character death. You're, you were lucky in that sense. but Well, not in the sense of your character having died. But on a scale of 1 to 10... You'd be pretty upset with how upset would you be if Pyre Fear Shot died? <laughs> well, here, here's the thing, all right? So, like, I never, I can't really talk from experience, yeah. but obviously, like, you'd be bummed, yeah. right? Like, you put all this time to a character and they're dead, and you're like, oh, crap. Like, I really like Especially that character. Especially after adventuring with them, and not only had you put in time with him uh, outside of D&D, but you've created now a story with that character. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'll, like I'm not a, I never DM'd. I'm just a player character. Then I'll not talk not just like a that player experience. character. You're a player character. Be proud. <laughs> yeah, I'm a player character. We but, have to say that because so, there might be players listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. But like, like you have to understand, like, don't cry. You can't have, you can't have like a immortal being. Like you have to have chances where you could die because then it's just, it's just a boring campaign. Yeah. Otherwise, you know what I mean, like. If you, if you know that the the DM is just gonna bail you out of every situation, mm-hmm. like like why are you even playing? Like yep. <laughs> it just seems so like it just seems so like linear, and I hate that in video games mm-hmm. where it's like linear or something. And I like like there's a, an immediate threat, and emotions are high, like something bad could happen. You know, there you have it, straight from sometimes straight from the mouth of the player right there. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's good. I'm, yeah, but like you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, obviously you're gonna be upset. No, obviously you're going to be yeah. upset, but you have to understand from a DM standpoint that he can't just bail you out of yeah. everything. Yeah. And, and I think that one thing that, and we've shared this on the dying episode, but one thing that needs to be realized from both sides of the table is it is okay to be upset. If you weren't upset when your character dies, there's probably something wrong. Like there's not a connection there. But it's okay to be upset. And sometimes you need to maybe like you don't jump back into the game right away. Maybe you take 30 minutes of a break. You go play some Xbox for a while or PlayStation or Wii or whatever you want. But you know you take a little break from the table because you need to calm down for a second. Uh, maybe as the DM you recommend that because you see that the player's pretty pissed off or whatever. But you know it's okay to be upset because it is from both sides of the table. I think we've had a character die in my campaign before, and I just said. All right, we're gonna take a break for a while and had the whole table like take a break and we went and got food or something and we came back and it was a lot better after that point. Yeah. We've noticed sometimes that not only can tensions get high with death, but tensions can get high when you're hungry and there's oh, death. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so fill up your bellies, get some food in there, and then get back to the game. Yep. But uh, yeah, that's 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 a hard situation to go through. We feel for you, Friar Took. Um, another situation that he brought up was he had to deal with the first time. A, a player trying to derail his plans as the DM. And this is something that happens all the time. And 
there's two aspects to this. Players trying to derail the campaign that the DM has kind of set up. One aspect of this is that DMs have to realize it's going to happen, and it's not always a bad thing. And a DM has to be, I think, a good DM should be flexible and allow the story to be weaved, in yeah. a sense, by the players, because they're they they in a lot of ways, even though you have this plan, they should be able to come up with good ideas and change things. But then any experienced DM has dealt with a player who's there just to mess up the game, yeah. just to screw things up, just to piss you off. And he had to go through this and deal with this. And Andrew, you remember uh, our our uh, good buddy exactly John with uh, Madoff? Yeah. Like, it created <laughs> exactly some great stories. It did. But he was definitely yeah. there, and he wasn't doing it to be mean. He's That's just his... He is that guy in real life. Like he just wants to, yeah. he just wants to stir the pot, but to make people laugh. And his character, like there were plenty of moments where all of your guys' characters were like, "Why are we still letting this dude come along with us?" <laughs> like there was this moment where he was a goblin, and you guys sent him into Goblin Town, and he basically like betrayed you guys, and you guys knew that he had like pointed the finger and said, "Hey, they're hiding outside of town," and you guys like killed yeah. the goblins, got inside the place, and he just like puts his like shoulders up and kind of shrugs and he's like eh what are you gonna do <laughs> he he he's the guy who just wants to sit back and watch the <laughs> but but yeah like i like looking back at it now obviously it was hilarious yeah. and funny and all the things he did and they were just they screamed him mm-hmm. like, like obviously he would do that but i remember at the time when he did that thing when uh he went to what did he go to he went he was in jail he found out something like very cool oh, yeah. story and that he didn't want to share it with you guys yeah, he gets out. He gets back. And you guys are all like, anything you want to tell us, Madoff? <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, no. <laughs> and I, I remember I got, I got so yeah. mad. I just, I was like, I just went out in the street, committed a crime just to go to jail to, to do what he did. I was like, all right, now I'm in the jail. So I found out the information. It, it was so funny game. because you had you and a couple of the players were more frustrated with it than I as the DM was. I think I just kind of laughed. I was like, oh, John, <laughs> but. Because I was like, what do we do? Like, you have the information. Like, and as our characters, like, I, I, I did the, the forbidden thing, and I used mm-hmm. my player knowledge. But I was just, I was so fed up. <laughs> I was just like, come on, dude. We, like, you want to progress the storyline. I'm actually, like, really invested in this. I want to know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, and so I think that a good point to bring away from this is, one, like we said, you need to let your players be flexible. But in the case of a player who's sitting at the table, and their just purpose is to ruin the game for you and to give you a hard time, I think you need to pull that player aside and one on one. Not, I don't. I think if you if you can avoid it, don't call them out in front of the whole group. Although I'll be honest, I've have dealt with people in my life that that's actually the best form yeah. of making them actually realize it. And so it's hard because we don't want to we don't want to give everybody advice on their player group because you, out of everybody as the DM, should know your players right. better than we are going to know your players. So you kind of got to judge the situation for yourself. A good DM is able to kind of take time and think about something. Not don't just react. Don't be like uh, what's her name, Sejuina or whatever. Oh, Sejuani. 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 Yeah. Uh, don't be like that, Sejuina. <laughs> don't like just attack right away. Like think about it. Do it in a tactful way. But I would pull that player aside and just be like, "Listen, D and D is supposed to be fun. I want you to have fun. But we're trying to, as a group, you know, do this storyline and." It's, it's getting a little hard for me to deal with 
this kind of stuff. Can you try to... I'm invested. You, as the DM, need to be invested in their characters, but they, as players, also need to be invested in your story. Yeah. Um, so, pull, I think a, a talk one-on-one is a good thing. Hopefully, your player understands. And if they don't, well, go back to episode five and listen to Dealing with Problem <laughs> Players. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that would be my advice. Chris, anything else to add on to that with uh i think there's times where you definitely just have to enjoy it as a dm because i'll be honest some of my favorite stories coming out of my dming experience have been the times when Mm -hmm. people have not necessarily derailed it for like malicious out of malicious intent but just the times where it's like all right i just need to go with what they're doing Mm -hmm. because it can it can be fun hey sometimes the dm likes to derail stories right yeah the the, uh masked rider yeah Uh, (laughs) sometimes just like my idea sucks i'm just gonna wing it on the fly Uh, yeah but but once again that's a dm problem that pretty much if you were gonna dm for a while you're gonna deal with that (laughs) like it's great if you have a group that really doesn't do that but and and i'll i'll say like once again you want your players to be creative. That's what the game is. So there's a difference between derailing the story in a positive way and just doing it to piss off the DM yeah. or trying to be a yeah. nuisance. And in like Andrew said, like pissing off the rest of the players because they're not allowing the story to progress. So there's a difference in that and just knowing when to deal with it and when to handle that. The next thing that he shared about was he said that on a previous episode, uh, we talked about the problem of... Dealing with big battles. The idea of a big battle like Helm's Deep is a great idea. Awesome. And then you play it in D&D, and it's like... It's a nightmare. <laughs> and he's like, I realized that I had 20, 20 uh, enemies to control, and they each had to take initiative. And so he realized that this is something that can be frustrating. Now, uh, one, one piece of advi- a couple pieces of advice that I would give on that is... Let there be an understanding between you and the players that when it comes for their movement phase, I wouldn't take the time and go one, two, three, four, five, six yeah, for every single just play. Just move them what looks move right. Move the six. Yeah, move one of them six up, and then just move every character. Yeah, that is if you're using quickly. minis. If you're playing yeah. theater of the mind there type stuff, it's just it's oh. it's easy. Well, yeah, and most people play movement. with minis at yeah. this point, and so that's why I think it's harder, especially for people playing with minis. But I would say don't take the time to move exactly yeah. six move them up your players should be okay with it because otherwise they're going to sit there for a long time well it's funny when we do long. it here sometimes it's like we have everybody just kind of goes all right we're going to move it and then there's one person mm-hmm. and i think you know who i'm talking about who's mm-hmm. like one two three four <laughs> five all right he's there one two three four caleb's done that quite a bit <laughs> Caleb, i was gonna say <laughs> I, I love it and then we're always just like just move them and there's like there's like the paladin part of him caleb. that's like i can't just move them i can't do it yeah it's i'm like okay oh, can me. somebody move the enemies yeah. <laughs> yeah no but yeah and i think that if you want to make that a little bit quicker go buy a pound of dice so that you can roll for a bunch that's of characters at the same time instead of go instead of having one set of dice and rolling 1d20 for every single time you roll a ton and you assign it to the if they're all the same character, you just say this one. Hit yeah. You. yeah, it's uh, another piece of advice I would say is if you have different enemies, if you have ogre, orc, goblin in battle, what I do is I just have enemy initiative instead of like ogre. Yeah, instead of three initiatives, have them all just basically take an average of their initiative, have that be their initiative roll, and make them all go at the same time. The only time I have there be two initiatives for bad guys is if there's a boss, and I have the boss have a separate yeah, initiative I do the same. Um, with the enemies. But I think that's another way to speed up that battle 
And one thing we also do is we say, maybe this is something you don't want, but this is something we do, is we have our players decide while everybody else is going, we say, can try and figure out what you want to do on your next turn, and if you're attacking, roll, roll that before so that you have it ready so you can just, we come to you and you say, uh, here's here's what you, here's what I rolled, do I hit, do I miss? Now, I, I think especially with like a wizard type character, that's hard because your spell that you use might pertain to what has just happened. So you have to give, you have to be lenient with players, um, but I think that's a good way to also yeah. move on. Uh, with the battle, so those are those are some advice. That's some advice to keep that battle moving. I think another advice, piece of advice, would just be don't make every battle huge like that. Yeah. Have there be big, powerful enemy battles with one or two enemies. Have there be some battles with a uh, bunch of minions. Because I think it is for the players fun to have a battle with a ton of minions yeah. where they're just taking out tons of guys. Andrew, I think of the uh, when we went into Goblin Town and you guys were all. Having to fight like legions of goblins, you're just like shooting yeah. them all down. Like, yeah. There's points where it's like it's fun to have a bunch of guys and a bunch of bad guys, and you take them all down. But you just don't want some players like uh, <coughs> for uh, like to have battle for hours, but uh, most players don't. So yeah, that would be our advice on that. And uh, his last uh, DM problem that he brings up is that. He had his players go through this adventure. They get to the end of this big adventure, and he reward. He gave them their rewards, and they were. He says that they were upset with the amount of rewards they got. They wanted basically that. He says, "quote unquote" Skyrim chest at the end of the dungeon. Now we read this, and I have to just say, Fire Took, you're listening. What are your players on, <laughs> man? Okay, this is what he items. rewards his players with. Uh, three sets of electrical resistant half plate um, were distributed. A helm fashioned from a dinosaur head, because some of the lizard men they were fighting rode on dinosaurs. Uh, and our sorcerer got an enchanted metal arm made of his bones and parts from a, some ancient animated armor uh, the fellas defeated in a pyramid in, or in an earlier session. They were upset with that. Those that's some sweet loot, man. Yeah. What are they? Ups- what do yeah. they want from yeah. you, Golem Armor? Yeah. I don't know what they want. Um, now that you being, mean we all don't get yeah. pet dragons so, that we just magically control? <laughs> I don't know what level you guys are at, but that's some sweet stuff. I really also like the idea of a helmet fashioned from a dinosaur skull. That's sweet. That's I'll, so I'll cool. say this: sometimes as a DM, the armor or the the stuff you give out is awesome, mm-hmm. and it's just it's the players' fault yeah. that they don't like Some, it. You know what? And that is a DM problem. Sometimes your players are going to be upset with you're you're like, man, I made this super sweet thing, and sometimes you like make this really cool idea of a masked rider, and your player gets mad. Even though... yeah, shut up. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like sometimes you you give your player something that you expect them to be really excited about, and they might be upset with it. Well, And, it, and it, you know what? You're not going to make your players happy all the time. It, it may be something, too, that they don't realize how awesome it is until yeah. they actually have to use it in a mm-hmm. scenario. Like, I can imagine that half-plate Dude, armor. Dude, I want all that loot. I don't know what I, they're talking yeah. about. That's... Well, like the half-plate electrical resistant mm-hmm. armor, it's like, they're not really going to appreciate it until they come up electrical damage, yeah. against electrical damage. And, the, and you know what? That's a good piece of advice, Chris. Friar took, put them up against some, like some elemental creatures that use electric damage, and then you kind of give them this look like, see, told you. <laughs> told you this yeah. is sweet. It could be something that, yeah, you make, 
I mean, you don't just give it out for any reason. It could be something you incorporate that they'll actually have to use mm-hmm. later in the campaign, and then they'll really come to appreciate yeah. it at that point in time. And so, and every DM is going to be different. I played in a game one time where our DM just gave out tons and tons every single session of loot and gold, and we were basically able to buy anything we wanted. And then we basically we played in that campaign, and then we the same players came and joined one of my campaigns. And I remember having an issue with some of the players being like, that's all we get? And I was like, dude, I'm not giving you as much as that uh, as that previous DM gave you. That was crazy. Yeah. Like, I, I tend to be a little bit less on the loot providing side as a DM because I like the idea of, you get a magical sword, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, magical swords everywhere. Like, um, But yeah. Andrew, any thoughts on the things we've talked about? Yeah, I was, I was I was trying to chime in. I was like, I remember when you gave me that. I forget what the sword was. Oh, it was like it did yeah. extra damage against like good or yep. bad or something like that. But I I was a ranger and I was like, this is the best <laughs> thing ever. And I, <laughs> I I like barely got to use it because I'd use my mm-hmm. bow or whatever I had. But it was just like, yeah, even I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I never like really got to use it, but I would like always have it. Everyone wanted to take it from. Yeah, me. there were a couple items in your camp in your campaign that everybody's always fighting over. You remember the crystal ball of wisdom? Oh, yeah, the crystal ball sparks some Yeah, so that was a crystal ball that I gave out that it had, like, a, a deceased... The spirit of a deceased wizard inside this crystal ball, and you could ask it a question every day, but... Oh, nice. You want to tell them a little bit about that? We'll keep going with this. I think people are enjoying this. So, sure. uh, could, tell us about I, the crystal ball. Do you remember it? Yeah, I remember. I, I forget who had it first. It might have been Eldragaza. Yeah, it was totally Eldragaza. And, he, and he's a like, he was the good mage, bro. mage, yeah. Yeah. He like wanted to like break mm-hmm. it and destroy it. I was like, dude, dude, like, give it to me. I'll, I'll I'll foster it. I'll take care of it. And I would always like try to ask it questions. And the thing was like, it would he was give a me, jerk. Like, not yeah. the answer I wanted. Yeah, he was. You a could only ask jerk. him a question always, a day. Like, word it right. And he was a total jerk. Yeah. But I still had faith that one day he would like answer a question that we really needed. So I always wanted to keep it. But El Gigazza was not. He'd give, yeah, he'd answer your question in like the way you didn't mean it to be asked. Yeah. My brother played a. A secretly evil character, and he really wanted that. So that that crystal ball like bounced around the party, like you guys would steal it from each other, and like it, it like you said, it created controversy. But it it wasn't even like that great. Well, because we the funny thing it. was that none of you out. ever got anything useful from it, and it's be. I think we did once. Yeah. And it was like the, it was like the like it was like the reason because I, I couldn't it. figure out a way of like getting around the answer, <laughs> and like the the thing was it would have answered. It would have been a really useful item had an evil character held it, and it. I was yeah, not and evil. if it believed that the evil character was evil enough to deserve its loyalty, that never ended yeah. up happening in our campaign. But it's like you definitely saw the potential. It bounced around quite a bit, but yeah, just a story of a some loot that caused some conflict, and more and DM problems. What, one more, one more loot uh, thing. Remember what was it? An ice Drake egg. Oh my guys? gosh! Remember you guys that? had so many like sweet like items of loot that just caused controversy. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like as you see, most of these weren't even armor yeah. like weapons for the most part. Like like the um we had we I forgot who it was me and someone else. I think it was yeah, Eldragaza. Like he, it was. He, he found the ice Drake egg, and me and him like out of the whole party, no one else knew. It was just yeah, the two of us. were like, all right. We're not telling anybody about this because they're gonna try and steal it. So like, you know, like you're a pretty like, dysfunctional I think, like, group. <laughs> yeah, 
we're like, all right, so me and you know this. We're gonna we're gonna raise it. We're gonna like make a little ice trick. But like, we never got to the point because like our our campaign fell through because you mm-hmm. moved and everything. Sorry. But, but like, we 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 coveted this thing and we like, oh, we they're still coveting so it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, another regret. We never got the ice trick. <laughs> well, did it never hatch? Okay. Nah, we we had it, it as an egg. Because like I said, your campaign we played here in Michigan. It did hatch in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, it, the ice trick egg was taken by the thief that had the evil thief in the group that had no problem stealing from the that's group. why we didn't tell anybody <laughs> <laughs> and that so he had like he was keeping exactly it in his basement thing. hidden like this little baby ice tree oh of course um, <laughs> see <laughs> see awesome. yeah you guys are smart i knew i knew the evil character would take <laughs> oh it. man so thank you again friar took for just emailing us and letting us know how things in your campaign are going we love to hear from you guys, so keep sending us your stuff. We will do in the future, because we have a lot of stuff from you guys to cover, we'll do a mailbag episode, just just stuff sent in from you guys, the listener, and focus on that for a future episode. Yep. But um, anyway, that's, that's our mailbag of holding, and that's what we got for you on this episode. They've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. Well, that's all we have for you on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. But before we go, before we move on to our classic where you can reach us and tell us all about your campaigns and ask us questions, we said we had a special announcement at the beginning of this episode, and here it is. We... Once this podcast goes out, this upcoming Friday, we will have a bonus pod for you guys to listen to. This bonus pod will be our first episode of The Geek Wars. We will have a roundtable of guests. We will have eight people, including myself. Well, seven people, including myself and DM Chris. And this will be a game show episode where we will battle it out. Two teams, two teams go in, one team comes <laughs> out. We're going to battle it out for our knowledge. Who is the better team in knowledge of geekdom? So uh, we're going to have topics such as, of course, Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, our own campaign. Star Wars, Middle Earth, Harry Potter, and so on and so forth. Tons of geek stuff. Now, this will not be like a normal campaign, hence the bonus pod but there is this is going to be a great this is going to be a great episode you don't want to miss it it's going to be a lot of fun andrew you're going to be there right you're going to be battling out you're going to bring some knowledge to us oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's all he says oh yeah. yeah well i'm really excited about this dm chris is excited all of our guests are super pumped it's going to be a lot of fun with a lot of surprises we encourage you to listen to our bonus pod um, going along with that, tell us, Chris, how our bonus pods are going to work. Yeah, so one thing that we really, really care about here is making this community and our podcast the best possible thing it can be for you. And so because this is not going to be a regular podcast, we're not going to make any new Dungeon Master content or anything like this. It, it will cost a, a small amount of money. And and what we're hoping to do with that is is to get new equipment to possibly better the website, just different different things that that do cost us a little bit of money uh to do and and we hope to enhance this podcast and just bring you the best possible podcast and community that we can and so that's if you don't want to pay anything for it you don't don't, have to we're still going to you don't have to buy it you can continue to listen to our great free content yep and we'll still come out with content the same regular time but i'm telling you man 
I'm putting together this game show. You're going to be missing a I sweet episode. Right if now, you, and if it you looks cool. do not listen to this, you're going to be missing a fun time. It's yeah. going to be fun. So we want to just encourage you guys, listen, it's not something you have to do, but at the same time, if you're not going to do it, you're missing out. Yeah. Yeah. Watch, watch me eat my words, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you got to listen in. Andrew's going to eat his words, man. All right. It's going to be a really good time. But anyway, check it out. It's coming out this Friday. The Geek Wars bonus pod. It's going to be a Dungeon Master blockbuster, baby. So listen (laughs) in. It's going to be awesome. I hate that you just did that. (laughs) But yeah, okay. Uh, Geek Wars, check it out. It's going to be sweet. Uh, Chris, tell them where they can reach us. Yeah, you can find us uh, through our email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, we got to get on that stuff for the mailbag episode. Yeah, yeah. So send Keep us sending us your stories, stuff. We love your questions, interacting with you. your ideas. Yep. We love interacting with you. Also, if you feel so inclined, uh, we would love if you would leave us a five star review. We have 40 of them right now. We would love to continue to have that number go up. So hit it us keeps up on drive. iTunes. It gets us excited. Yeah. Send us yeah. in. Yeah, I seriously. Every time I see, we was like, oh my gosh, we got a new one. That's so cool. I <laughs> like a little schoolgirl. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> I'm all uh, excited about the geek wars now. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't yeah. calm down. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher. We've mm-hmm. had quite a few hits up on Stitcher. So yeah. if you if you want to listen to it on a non iOS based program, hit us up on Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at dms underscore block. That's dms block. Uh, and also like our Facebook page, which has been blowing up recently. I love it. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, but both of those places you can go on to to get extra content. We will give you uh, websites and things that we have found that we find interesting, maybe some videos. But it's just a good time. Follow us. It's cool. <laughs> Andrew, do you have anything else you want to say before we go? Nope, not a thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you're a jerk. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. If you don't have anything else to say, Andrew, thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep on Dungeon Mastering.